0: Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company, and if you enter the promo code FAX at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to palomaverdecbd.com and check them out. Let's start the show. check this podcast and this is a very special thursday night live stream i don't normally do thursday night shows but this one when the article that we're going to talk about today was brought up to me uh actually good friend carlos abalar of los libertinos who as uh chance would happen so uh so carlos has this tendency to find an article that he really likes and then he'll share it with me and ask me my opinion on it and then and then he'll just like yeah, I'm going to send that dude an email and see if he'll do an interview. And then without fail, he lands an interview every single time. So <laughs> so crazy enough, he's going to have James Pogue on Los Libertinos. Um, I think they're doing the interview next week. But so Carlos sent this article and he said, hey, I really want to talk about this on your morning show. Which, So we, uh, myself and Mark Metz, we looked at it and we're like okay we'll talk about it on the morning show but like there's way too meat there way too much meat in this article to just do like the 20 to 30 minutes we would be able to talk about it on the morning show like i was like this is one of those things that we need time to read through it look at it think about it and then really sit down and dig into it and so that's what tonight is going to be is digging into it mark uh had some family stuff come up but matt of Kingpilled was kind enough to to sit in with me on this. And then Don the Pleb is going to show up any moment now, I am sure. He he is out of town doing some jobs. So I think he was going to be like screeching into his hotel to take a shower and hit it just as air and jump in here as quickly as he could. So we're going to kill a little bit of time. And uh, Matt, since you haven't been on the show before, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself and tell us what you got going on. And uh, then we'll kind of take it from there.
1: Well, speaking of of screeching in at the last second, I uh, I, I was just a little bit earlier than Don apparently because I uh, I'm working in real estate now here in in San Antonio, and uh, this afternoon I was I was sitting down getting ready to have a nice relaxing afternoon, do a little reading, and uh, kind of get caught up on some stuff. And wouldn't you know, my phone rings and I get called to go out on a on a to show a house to someone drove an hour and a half and it just didn't work out. So I drove an hour and a half one way and then an hour and a half back for nothing. But Hey, at least I got to listen to some stuff on, on YouTube. I did it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Matt from, from Kingpilled. It's a podcast that has been, uh, kind of on a hiatus for the last several months since we relocated, we being my, my wife and son and I relocated from Southern California out here to San Antonio. And, uh, we've been, we've just completely uprooted our life and have been, uh, just kind of scrambling to to kind of hold things together and um, and kind of restart a new life out here. And it's been it has been a journey. It has been um, it's been very trying. And I hardly remember who I was six months ago. I uh, is most people who watch the show will probably be aware of a of a of a at least one of two interviews that I did. One was with uh, Pete Quinones. And uh, that was uh, that was last year. And then shortly thereafter, I went on and did a, a, an interview with uh, <laughs> with Cyprian, also known as Vin Armani and uh, on, on Liberty Lockdown, the Clint Russell show. And we we kind of kind of started a, a little bit of a something with that. And it's crazy. I was just looking at my Facebook memories uh, yesterday and I realized that that was 10 months ago. That that absolutely rocked my world. I that messed me up for the rest of the day. That that was only ten months ago because I am such a different person now than I was when all of that went down, and the, the fact that all of that has happened in ten months has just told me that I've completely lost the ability to track time and I have I have like no awareness of the passage of time anymore. But anyways, yeah. So I'm I'm Matt from Kingpilled, and uh, I'm I I've got myself a reputation for being a guy that talks about Yarvin a lot. And this article here talks about Yarvin a lot, so um, I feel like I'm in good company. This
0: felt like a uh, a good fit, and <laughs> and it's funny. I remember that that Liberty Lockdown episode with with you and uh, Vin or Cyprian. And I'm I have moved a lot, uh, not just like physically. We are we're in a new house, but I've also, uh, as far as politically, moved a lot over the last ten months as well. And just kind of the way I've looked at things and and thought about things. And in hindsight, that was a really spicy episode, but also at the same time, now that I look back on it, like it didn't necessarily have to be like, I think the, uh, I think a lot of it was the way people took it. And, and as I have gotten a little bit more, uh, I don't like to use the word post-libertarian, uh, as, um, as Pete and I had an episode a while back where we wanted to talk about it without actually using that word, because like, that's, that's a dirty word. We wanted to just talk about like um, moving through your political philosophy in the way, you know, in the wake of everything that's happened over the last two years without using that term and, you know, throwing everything straight into the fire. So, and it was a really good conversation. But as I've kind of moved in that direction, I definitely look at my conversations like that from a year or so ago a lot different than I did at that time in that space.
1: How so, if I, if
0: I could ask? So I guess at the time I was really heavily invested in the Mises Caucus, which is not to say that I'm not still, but I've really kind of moved much more in a looking at things at an incredibly local level and kind of when all of the state affiliate stuff started going down and you saw to what links the, the libertarian party was willing to go to fight change. It reminded me a lot of the interparty party politics of like the Kentucky state GOP when I was in college and really heavily invested in that. And, and seeing all that happen, I, I, it really pushed me away. And I was like, I have, I just don't have interest or bandwidth to to do that kind of thing again. Like I I was very, very involved with the Kentucky State Libertarian Party or um, Kentucky State Republican Party when I was in college. Uh, I, founded a, I founded a conservative uh, college program uh, or college club when I was in college. Like I was the youngest appointed or the youngest elected county representative at the Kentucky uh, state convention that year. Um, like I, I was the youngest voting delegate at the, at the convention. There were people there younger than me, but like I was actually chosen by my County to go represent us and, and vote. So that was really cool. But, and I, and you know, I kind of had a, a promising career in that at the time, if I wanted to pursue it, but as, as I saw the way politics really worked, uh, it really rubbed me the wrong way and pushed me more towards saying "fuck it" and moving towards a more anarchist type of position. and uh, And I've come back around to politics over the last few years because it's been interesting and engaging to to see the the world as Trump kind of changed it, and then to see things coming out of COVID and going forward. So I've been more active and more participatory since. Since all of this has come around, but at the same time, I'm, I'm still getting tastes of things that rubbed me the wrong way from back then. And so I've kind of moved back in the anarchist direction uh, more than anything.
1: Fair.
2: What's up, Don?
0: Can you How's hear us, Don? Going?
2: I can. Uh, is it is it just Justin roboting or is this, this a me problem?
0: It's probably a me problem. I live uh, very rurally and uh, it comes and goes.
1: Yeah, you're coming through clear to me. Justin's a little spotty, but I can hear and understand him fine.
2: Okay. So, as long as this is making it through, because uh, I am equally, for once, in a not done studio uh, and not like reliable setup.
0: This is going to be a lot of fun.
2: Oh, yeah. It, it's going to be great. I'm like, I, I envy the people watching this. Like, wow, it's normal <laughs> podcasters who are just <laughs> everyone destroying everything. It's gonna be great.
0: <laughs> well, I say for like for Matt, it's different to see you on a screen without the without the lights and all your your usual like kingpill setup.
1: <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah. I have uh, most of the stuff is still in storage. We're still staying in a. We're now in an actual house. We were in an Airbnb in a in a mobile home for a little while because that was like the the quickest easiest thing that we could find. And we're actually in a in a legit house. We found it via a service called Furnished Finder, which is kind of similar to Airbnb. It's for traveling, uh, like traveling nurses and that kind of thing. And, uh, it is exactly what we were looking for and we can stay here as shorter, as long as we want. So it really wound up being even better than actually finding a, uh, it's super flexible. We can, it's, it, it works out perfectly, but the, uh, the flip side here is that I, uh, it's a furnished place. It's very, very furnished. Like all four bedrooms all have queen or king size beds in them. So there's not a lot of extra room, so we can't empty all of our stuff into it. So we're still paying. All of our stuff is still in storage, and so that means that um, I don't have all my my cool accoutrements to to decorate everything behind me. So what you're seeing is actually, I was in one of the room. We didn't have anywhere to put all the rest of the bed and everything. So this is actually a box spring and a mattress right here, stood up on the <laughs> wall behind me, and then I just blow out the light behind it so that it, you can't kind of can't tell what it is, and it just looks like I'm floating on a cloud.
2: <laughs> so when you when you get when you get your arms out, just at the right spot uh right over your right shoulder you can now that you told me what it is you yeah. can see just a little bit of the line of the box spring <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i never would have known right. <laughs> yep yeah
1: this is funny this is actually the first time that don and i have ever have ever actually met like this here we've been we've been uh, we've we've talked many times we've been very aware of one another for for a while but this is the first time we've actually met so that's cool
2: yeah uh i was thinking the same thing actually when when uh I got the like hey, you down to do. This was like, hell yeah, finally.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I can uh I can put this at the the top of my proudest achievements then because the <laughs> previously the top of the top of the list was when I got uh Josh Rainier on Kingpilled with Matt and Steve and they all took their shirts off and did like the the shirtless <laughs> full hair episode, which was a lot
1: of fun. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, we got uh we got all kinds of jokes out of that one. The one that people said most often was that it was like a Jesus impersonator conference or something. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, all right.
0: So we've commenced with pleasantries. Where do we start on this article? Because there was, there was so much meat to it. And okay. So first question, has anybody like sat down and looked at this article kind of like what I'm intending that we do? Cause I don't, I wasn't really aware of it prior to Carlos bringing it up to me, which um, you would think this would be something that people in our circles would have been talking about, but I don't know. It seemed like it's flown under the radar.
2: So I hadn't even heard of it until you sent it to me. So I'm, here. I'm guessing no. <laughs> and that's, a,
0: that's a damn shame. I mean, it is so it's Vanity Fair. So when I'm when Carlos sent the link and I opened it up, I had, like, really low expectations. And and he even mentioned it a few times throughout the article, like, that the people that he was talking to and interviewing when going to these different conferences and stuff like that, like, they didn't believe that he would do a fair portrayal of the people who were involved in this, this new right, uh, dissident right movement. And... It's incredibly well written. It's very fair and practical. I thought it, I thought it presents the case for Yarvin and Teal and the New Right in a very positive light. Like it doesn't, it doesn't take that typical uh, leftist lean. That like I read a lot of stuff from the Washington Post and the Atlantic because they are interesting uh, publications. Uh, they have a tendency to to tell the truth without intending to, or, uh, like to unironically say something that, uh, all of us would normally say but that you don't expect to see mainstream journalists actually talk about, and they don't realize, you know, they don't seem to understand why we find that funny that they would, they would actually say it out loud. Um, but this didn't have any of that to it. Like it's, it's incredibly well written. So I, I really appreciated that for one. And, and it was really refreshing, uh, which, which just got me more interested in it and, and really sold that, Hey, this is something that I need to talk about with, with somebody at some point. And uh, so here we are. So what, what did you, what were you alls kind of just on the surface takeaways from the article itself?
1: Matt. So full disclosure, I haven't finished it yet. I'm probably about two thirds of the way through. But just from what I've read, I had basically the same impression going into it. I'm like, oh, Vanity Fair talking about Yarvin and Teal. Like, this is going to be this is going to be a meme. It's just going to be like we're, we're going to be lampooning it. And so far, I'm not convinced that the author doesn't actually agree with the majority of what like, he may not. But at least the way he's presenting it, he's presenting it so fairly and even handedly that I can't tell that he doesn't disagree with it. And I feel like a guy who writes for Harper's and Vanity Fair, he can't possibly actually see things this way, but there's no way five years ago, even that this type of subject gets covered in this type of manner in this type of a, of an, of an outlet. So it's very, um, it's, it's, it's jarring to read it, the, in and, and how like kind of even handed and, um, and just kind of fair and honest he is about the way he's, he's portraying it. And it really makes me, I try, I'm naturally a very optimistic person. And, uh, the last several years I've been kind of bogged down in black pills. And so I kind of have the, I very much have the two devil, the the devil and the angel on either side of me that are constantly duking it out. And so, uh, I, I try to, to give, to give, uh, extra assistance to one side or the other to keep them from, from overwhelming each other. So when I see this type of thing, I want to automatically get super like, like optimistic, like positive, like this is going to be really productive. There's going to be so many people that see this, and it's gonna—they're actually going to see Arvin as someone who's not um, a complete loon, and they're gonna go, you know, there's, it'll start the rabbit hole kind of for them. And and I've, I've kind of been around these circles long enough to realize that it, it just never quite works out that way. Um, but what I do see is that there's clearly been a, a, a shift in um, the. Like the, this whole new right thing that Michael Malice wrote about several years ago, which is where I first kind of really got exposed to it has clearly become a significant and influential enough player that it can get this type of, of coverage from, um, a, uh, an outlet that normally wouldn't cover it this way.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I generally agree with the premise though. I will say, I think part of all of our, Problem with this is that if if this was a New York Times piece, right, it it would be, um, you know, Curtis Yarvin sacrifices goat, right, and it didn't matter what actually happened. That would literally be what they wrote, Uh, and so in the it's it's like that the dating joke, you know, lowered expectations work in my favor, right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, you open that link and it like Vanity Fair. (laughs) and then it it's not it's not like amazing journalism i though i will grant you i have i have matt's problem as well i am most of the way through this article i'm not finished with it um but it's not like amazing it's uh some of it is written very much in the style of vanity fair where it's kind of gossipy and like that you know just talking about um you know why is it anytime I see Curtis Yarvin, he's surrounded by a bunch of incels, tee hee, and <laughs> like it, it, that's not written maliciously, but it's just it it's an amusing kind of gossipy quote that came up, and it, it's uh, in that sense, you know, it, it's it's still sort of garbage, and yet just not what we're used to, right? Because I, I can only imagine the hit piece that uh, hypothetically someday gets written about me bearded angry man wants everyone to die like whoa (laughs) what citation please right but that's what it'll be right and and i think for most of us that's how we look at these articles whenever they come out right like we all go read them we're like all right what crazy thing were we supposed to have done today and (laughs) when it's not that it the bar is just so low that like, even though it's kind of gossipy, even though it, it's like her hanging out with a friend and like writing a blog piece about it, because about half of that article, that's what it is. right? Yeah. Yeah. And the other half is to be fair, like, you know, there are, there are actual people doing actual political things, I guess. But like, also my friend told me not to say that, like they're killing babies. <laughs>
1: <You know? laughs> yeah. Like that, that comment about why he's always surrounded by insults. Like, That's a, if you think about at an event like that, how many different things would have been said. And for whatever reason, the author chose to highlight that particular phrase and, um, and, and, and put it there. And there's a reason for that. There's, there's baggage that's attached to that. And you put that sort of thing in there specifically because it primes, especially early on in the piece, you put it in there because it primes the reader for how to interpret this person that they're just now encountering. You're, you're framing the encounter before the encounter actually happens
2: yeah um and like i said it's again comparatively speaking it's uh for anyone that has ever uh, had an article written about them on the right it's an incredibly good article right um but i think part of that is still just the lower expectations thing um and so it's sort of the beaten wife syndrome all over again right like uh, you know, we're we're all used to getting our teeth punched in. And so like when hubby brings us flowers, we're all super excited. Right? <laughs> Tonight, I'm not going to get kicked because <laughs> I, oh, I would please. also
1: go. I would also say it's it's Vanity Fair. And like part of part of the whole premise of this circle is that these kinds of of outlets are vastly overstated in terms of their actual ability to influence large numbers of people like the, the audience that Vanity Fair has is nowhere near the audience that Vanity Fair wants you to think Vanity Fair has. Yeah. So, so it's not that this is, this is the counter to the, the, the instinct to be white pilled that it's like, yeah, so it's a fair, it's a, it, it's a moderately fair portrayal. It's also essentially a, it it's a, it's a dying organization that has relatively little influence. So it's not like it's going to do that much. To me, it just stands out that there's a, there's a, there's a change in the, in the tenor that you wouldn't have heard
2: before. Yeah. So
0: if for me looking at this, like it was really refreshing because at the same time, I'm, I am also looking at a slate article that, uh, that talks about Trump being right about the deep state and what a good thing it is that we have a deep state. So (laughs) (laughs) so like when i'm looking at that and trying to plan an episode where where i talk about that and and kind of take a deep dive onto that article and then also looking at this one and planning to do something like this um maybe it's because of the stuff that i'm reading that this like this really does kind of come across a little bit white pilling for me like there is definitely the uh the understanding especially now looking at it like the fact that Neither of y'all even knew that this article existed. Period. Um, how much traction has it gotten? And and maybe James, when he goes on with Carlos on Los Libertinos, like maybe he gets stats on that and he knows um, how much of a run the article has gotten and how many clicks it gets and all that kind of stuff. But it just feels like it's largely gotten overlooked, which is really kind of a shame because for as little um, like overreaching. Influences what Vanity Fair may or may not have, it feels like this article is getting even less than that, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I mean in in, in complete fairness to Carlos, I know he won't take this personally. like if if Carlos and a podcast of like like Los subertinos is is if this guy's responding to interview requests like that, then you know obviously obviously the piece itself isn't isn't really hitting. With with big big movers and shakers, and and it also goes to to it speaks to like I don't want to insult the the guy who wrote it either I don't know anything about it I think it's cool that he would go do a, a podcast with Carlos, but it it speaks to the actual um that a lot of this stuff is uh, these kinds of major corporate outlets have really become. Um, there's just a gigantic facade and there's not that much, they, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the massive amounts of financing that's being sh- funneled into them just to keep them on life support,
2: just to keep them alive. So to, to sort of caveat on the the part of that, that's important, I guess to, to at least to me, uh, it is, you know, no insult to literally any of us, uh, because this is going to sound like I'm talking shit about me too, but, if Tucker Carlson is calling you, you're not taking our calls. Yeah. And, and it's, that's right. Right. Exactly, <laughs> like, Bro. I'll get back to you later. Sorry. <laughs> right.
1: Which is cause like, that's exactly how it would be for me. Like if Tucker Carlson is calling me, then I'm not going to, it doesn't matter if someone's my friend, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be replying to him. Cause I'm going to be busy looking for, I'm like, it's like the, the, the level has been raised for me where now my time becomes much more valuable to like, if i can go in in front of an audience of millions then i don't have time to go in front of an audience of thousands
2: right uh and you know god forbid it you know it's it's audiences of of tens or hundreds or something like look man i you're cool uh we'll drink beer on saturday but like work time i got other stuff to do right. you know
0: <laughs> hey i'm just glad both of you took time for me and my audience of like 50 so <laughs>
1: It's bigger in my audience right now. I haven't posted an episode in forever. <laughs> I probably don't have an audience anymore.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, YouTube has hooked me up in that fashion. So uh, I, I'm right there with you. Um, you know, like 5% of my audience, my my views come from uh, like the subscription window. Everything else is everywhere else I advertise. It's ridiculously bad here these days. So let's kind of... I wanted to
0: transition a little bit. with The article um, they talk about they talk about Yarvin, Teal, JD Vance, Masters, some of these other figures in the New Right. And I thought it was interesting how that he um, he really makes it clear that there is a there is a disconnect between this New Right and the Trump, MAGA. Uh, that kind of right. He, he talks about early in the article that there was a, uh, like a Georgia state Senate candidate or something that was uh, given like a, a real rah-rah Trumpian speech at this event that they were at. And the guy really didn't get a lot of attention paid to him. And that's something that that's something that I've seen with sort of my interaction with this new right type of movement is they see the utility of the Trump moment, but they kind of move past that. Like, there's there's a lot more to what's going on now than than what went on with Trump. And and maybe it was his response to COVID and the vaccines and everything else. But for whatever reason, like, there has been a, a, a stepping away and a disconnect, which is really interesting because at the same time when I've been looking at this and prepping for this, uh, I get the Atlantic uh, daily newsletter thing and so when jd vance wins his primary in ohio they immediately like the atlantic is immediately selling it as this is this trump candidate who won his primary like <laughs> yeah like y'all, like, y'all the point the the atlantic completely whiffed on who jd vance is with with their assessment of his primary win in in ohio so it's it is cool to see this article and see him like really get it right. While some of the, you know, some of the the other ones that we like to make fun of are still so off base on it. Uh, Even, even like as clear as it seems to be, I don't know, maybe, maybe I have, maybe I have looked at Vance a little bit different. And so I'm not seeing some of what they think is real Trumpian, but um, like, it just feels like, it feels like the mainstream is still missing in ways that, that uh that the author really got right in in this
1: article. Yeah, I'd i um I had seen Vance as much less of a serious character kind of than um I didn't see him as someone who would legitimately be running in, in these circles, in the 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 teal circles. I didn't I didn't actually take him seriously as someone who was that closely associated. And I've been fascinated with with Peter Teal for a few years now. Uh, I was actually just listening, just re-listening to a conversation that he had. It was the first episode of the Portal podcast with Eric Weinstein back in 2019. And that was where I I really started. I'd been aware of Teal before and I was kind of interested in him as sort of like He's one of the rare sort of like Silicon Valley, wealthy billionaire types. That's actually like right wing and outspoken about it. And so I'd always kind of been interested in him. But then when I heard him talk on that, I was like, okay, this guy is, he's not just kind of generic conservative sort of, he actually really seems to have his finger on the pulse of a lot of what's happening, particularly talking about the decline in, in And uh, not just productivity, but the decline since since around nineteen seventy in uh, in advancement in terms of of building like new institutions and inventing new things outside of the realm of computer science. It's basically like like Eric Weinstein has a little a little like test that he'll do where he says, if you go into a room today outside of like generic fashion aesthetics, if you go into a room today and you remove all the screens from the room, how can you tell that you don't live in 1970 and you likely can't the, for the most part, the only types of, of uh, advancement of any kind that has, that has happened over the last 50 plus years has, has been just entirely in the realm of bits. And so there's, there's this, this lack of advancement in the, in the realm of, of atoms And, and so there's that's that's one of many things that has bred a, a severe stagnation. And so then stagnation ultimately, they talk about the the um the degenerative effects of a lot of the the structure of of our major institutions, particularly like universities and law firms and some of these these institutions that were built and 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 formed really quickly as um with this this ex- expectation that they're going to there's going to be forever growth with them. and then, sooner or later we start realizing that these there isn't going to be a forever growth here and so there's a backlog of people who went down these paths in in accumulating debt for education and pursuing career paths that just don't exist anymore and but they they can't get rid of that debt that debt's crushing and there's nothing for them to do and it's like a it's like a slow motion um it's like a slow motion high speed crash on an interstate playing itself out over over several years to a couple of decades, but there's this pile up is coming and it's getting worse and worse. And so all of that resentment breeds ultimately chaos. If there isn't someone around to, to to harness that and, and focus it on, on something productive. So I've got a bit of a new appreciation now for Vance. He had his, his hillbilly elegy and then, and some of the stuff that he's talked about recently, he just kind of seemed a little, um, he seemed to me, he struck me as like a grifter who's trying to uh, pay lip service to the so-called new right, to the the people who are not really directly affiliated with MAGA, but like he's trying to use the MAGA energy to kind of pull in these the dissident voices and 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 to kind of try to assimilate them. And to me, he struck me as someone who's who's trying basically trying to water down the dissident side of things to the benefit of of the the more mainstream gop and now as i've read this here and see the circles that he's actually running with like if someone like yarvin and teal and some of these guys are actually really in his ear that makes me a lot more interested in in where he's going to go not because like i'm i'm saying this in in like in the sense of uh um, like I'm watching a movie kind of, cause that's how I, that's how I relate to a lot of this stuff now is it's just kind of like I'm watching, I'm watching history play out in front of me. So I want to study the era the way that I would study, you know, history 200 years ago. You don't, you don't read about, about, I don't know, the Jacobite revolution and root for a side. Cause it's, it's like the outcome is predetermined already. You might have sympathies for a side, but you don't like, you don't root for one. You just read and, and understand what happened. So that's kind of how the way that I approach a lot of modern politics now is it's, it's playing out in front of me and I just want to see what happens and I'm interested and I have my sympathies here and there, but um, I see now that uh, that, that Vance is someone who, who maybe I'm going to take a little more seriously as an actual um, whether he himself is smart enough or um, intellectually honest enough to really embrace and move these ideas forward. He at least seems to be someone who's serving as, uh, as a marionette for guys who I think actually are smart and could move these types of ideas forward.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that's really important in this whole article is is it does kind of... Uh, so we'll pull up Carlos's question here. It, but it does kind of... It puts Yarvin as kind of like the brains behind a lot of what's going on, which is, I would say, fair. Like a lot of his writings and stuff have influenced... Uh, it's influenced a lot of people in libertarian circles and and our circles whatever you want to call those and 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 in the the distant right the nrx um like he has had a lot of influence and and so then you've got teal with kind of the uh the money driving things to some extent behind it and then you you do get these um the more public figures who are being influenced by I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, being influenced by the right people to kind of view some of this stuff. I loved how he explained red pill. He kind of explained black pill. Like he he went into the cathedral. He went into all of these terms that like we're extremely familiar with, and they're just like they're just like part of our natural conversations. But a lot of people who don't run in these circles. Who aren't on the more libertarian side of things, or or the the neo reactionary or the new right side of things? Like they probably either have never heard these terms, or if they've heard them, they think of them as a joke. Like they they don't take them seriously. And I did really enjoy, or I do, I really appreciated the way he went in the article to to kind of talk about those terms and to explain them in a in like a non uh like he doesn't he doesn't treat them like a joke like he he treats them with an explanation of like this is what this means to these people and this is why these people use these words and and there is a purpose to it it's not just them being uh dumbasses like it's there is a lot of nuance to to the to the language that's used, and he he does that throughout the entire article. Like there there is a lot of language that is used in in our circles and and other like right wing circles that um they're just generally dismissed as as stupid when there is a lot more to it. And I I really had a great appreciation for how he tackled the terminology throughout the article. Um, and then he, he also talks about like the influence that Yarvin has had, and and talking about like his uh, Yarvin's fiance that was um, that was really funny because she's like, the way she approached it, and and his conversation with her was she was just like a, a regular liberal who was intelligent, and um, there are people who <laughs> who have concerns that she's like a plan or something is going to try to turn him or, or whatever, but well, like when I was reading her part of the conversation with uh, with James Pogue it's like that it sounds a lot like my wife when we got together like she was a she was a Bernie bro and where uh, was a big Bernie supporter and much more uh, progressive in a lot of her ideology and stuff and just hanging out with me for a couple of years and my anarchist positions on everything and just the way I would talk about stuff regularly she's Come around to full-on anarchists, like burn the whole thing down. Let's just have our, uh, let's go full agorist and have chickens and goats and a garden and uh, all of this stuff that the government's trying to do is stupid and a waste of time and money. And so it's like, like yes, you can you can turn people with just good ideas and letting them see how all that stuff like really works. If you can remove them from the from the progressive echo chamber of how things supposedly are and the way it's all painted and, and colored is you know anybody who's, uh anybody who's right of um, John McCain is like evil, then yeah, I, you can see how people would get a wrong idea. but when you start to like really look at the way the world worked and especially the way American politics worked, you start to figure that out. It's like ooh, there's a lot more going on than what stream would let you know. And, and this article really does a good job of bringing that out. Like it, uh, I've, I've said it too many times, I feel like, but it was really well done. Like, uh, I had a great appreciation for it.
1: It's interesting the way that he tied in the the, the whole, I, I guess you might call it like the dissident left, the like the Red Scare uh, podcast uh, sphere of people. It's been very interesting to me as I've started to see that more lately where these are people who are are lefties for sure. They're most of them are like Bernie bros, but they're very uh, they have a lot of super. It's like a, a hybrid of the kind of jaded, ironic energy of Gen X mixed with the jaded, ironic energy of the zoomers. they, they They've got a, a blend of that. And they are like he's, he's, he's detailing here how they've almost formed kind of like a, it's like they hate the libs and as much as they hate white supremacists and stuff. In fact, they see a lot of connections between the neo. like they, they, they recognize this, this dissident left sphere recognizes how the modern neolibs are like the ideological inheritance of the, the actual spirit of, um, I don't know, the actual spirit of white supremacy that used to dominate the establishment mentality of of, of American culture from I don't know the eighteen hundreds into the basically the civil rights era when everything switched on a dime all of a sudden when it became politically opportunistic. They they see that. So they see the modern neo-libs as people just they see them as essentially like like white supremacists LARPing as not white supremacists. So they hate the neolibs, and so for that reason, they find kind of common cause with the dissident right because it's like, well, your enemies are my enemies, so we have to be friends. And it seems that um, if your lens of politics only extends as far as economics, then you probably wouldn't understand how someone like how, how like the Yarvin, Masters, Teal. Uh, cohort could actually have common cause with the red scare cohort, but it totally makes sense to me. These are people that are very into understanding history. They're very skeptical of mainstream narratives or skeptical of mainstream institutions. And they, they're kind of, they're they recognize, they, they both recognize that we are dominated by a corporate state that has completely blurred the lines between public and private. And that that state is, is uh, exercising naked tyranny, not for the sake of some ideological motivation, but really just for the sake of power, accumulation of power and wealth. So you can, if you, if you transcend the purely economic lens, then you can see why these people would have common cause. But there's an interesting part here where he points out, he says, uh, Yarvin has mused that the liberal regime will begin to fall when the quote, cool kids start to abandon its values and worldview. There are signs that this may be happening, though not all the so-called cool kids involved in this vibe shift would want to be colored as the vanguard in a world historical rebellion against the global order. I'm not like into politics, the writer Honor Levy, a Catholic convert in Bennington grad, told me when I called her. I just want to have a family someday. That spirit right there. That's the 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 that's the like the positive side of the nihilism that is um is growing amongst the millennial Zoomer generations that have realized that they have no place in this system. There's no one who actually will speak for them. And there's no one on the horizon that's coming. That's going to speak for them. That's the kind of nihilism that when, when, when people start to check out of the system like this and they're like, you know, I don't care about this whole rat race, this whole dog and pony show. I just want to have a family and make some babies and live somewhere and just be left alone. That like, that's the spirit of people that is actually really, really powerful because the system uh, depends upon riling you up and getting you really invested, getting you injecting energy into it, trying to change it, buying into the, 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 for lack of a better term, the mainstream narratives, trying to change them is precisely what keeps them going. So I don't, it was, I was trying to think of it as, um, as I was saying this, I was trying to think of who the person was, who i listened to talking about this recently. I, I, I wish I could, cause it would be really interesting to combine those two ideas, but um there was someone else that I was talking, that was listening to that was saying that like the time is coming when the American regime is not going to be cool anymore. And that is when it's going to collapse, which is essentially what, what Yarvin is saying here. You don't have to try to kill the regime. The regime will kill itself because it will outlive its own coolness. And I think you're really starting to see that happening, not just because I'm reading someone talking about it here, but just like in general, for the last 10 years or so, all of social media and all of um, all the platforms where people go and meet each other, or the, the the so-called town square has been completely dominated and controlled by, by mainstream institutions. So th- it gives this impression that everybody all thinks and agrees with certain things that everyone always all, all thinks the same way, but it's inevitable that if people don't actually all think the same way, given enough time it's inevitable that people are going to go find other places to meet and other places to gather that are apart from those and just the natural outworking of a lot of this stuff is going to lead to the ultimate downfall of the institutions that just run out of people to populate them they run out of sentiment to to care about them so this is kind of a um it's a it's a take that i've been trying to work through for a while that is not black pilled and it's not white pilled it's 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 kind of just both, which is that you don't need to fight to take the system down. You just need to start building your own system. And you don't need to build it to compete with the other system for the people who are invested in the other system. You just need to build it for the people who are interested in the, in your system and just build it to, to, to withstand, to, to just be separate. Just be separate. It doesn't need to compete. It doesn't need to overpower the other system. Just let the system run itself out. Let it run itself ragged. Eventually, you're going to see this exact sort of thing happen where new ideas are going to become fashionable. And my real fear actually is that the new, as this system starts to lose its fashionableness, it's going to pivot and shift and try to mold itself around the new fashions and my greatest fear honestly is seeing people like masters and vance and uh and and some of these dissident right-wing people actually get enough power actually be able to easily like if i was the guy pulling the strings i don't think there actually is a guy pulling the strings but you know what i mean like if i was the guy pulling the strings i would actually try to make it easy for these guys to get a foot in the door I wouldn't make it too easy. I'd put some resistance, but make it easy enough for them to get a foot in the door because you get them personally invested. You get them a little bit of power. You get them some money. You get them a seat at the table. And then you just shift your messaging and you just tweak some things just enough to kind of build it around them as make them part of the new establishment. Just shift the establishment a little bit, make them part of the new establishment and just continue with business as normal. This is the way that this is just the way that the system has progressed for years now. It, it, the system is ideologically neutral. It just wants power. And the people who are within it are just used for the goals of attaining power. So I, that's, that's what I'm expecting is going to come. I'm expecting that I don't think there's going to be a huge conflagration. I think that ultimately the energy is going to wane out of the system. And it's just going to shift to where the energy is. And so my goal is hopefully when it shifts to where the energy is, that'll be a better a a better shift it doesn't have to be exactly the shift i want it to be it just has to be better than where it is right now
0: yeah that's fair and and i think there is something of a shift of that nature sort of naturally happening like like talking about the distant left and and um reading the comments as we've been going like yes there are very clear um there are very clear arguments against trying to have too much of an alignment with with the dissident left but at the same time they are at least coming to some of the correct assessment of what's going on uh like, like the neocons and the Leo, neolibs are kind of aligned themselves and uh they're you know effectively two sides of the same coin and and you're starting to see a lot of a lot of waking up to what's going on i don't know if so we were talking about like the the amount of influence and and just sort of the oversaturation that mainstream media has um, did you see the one on, it was a Twitter poll, the, and I, I can't remember uh, which which department it is from the, uh, from the government that she's a part of, but some woman had posed the question, what would have been a better use of Elon Musk's $44 billion by Twitter or in world hunger, and with like 309,000 votes, uh, by Twitter was winning like 80 something percent to I think it was like 81% to 19%. Was, and and when I saw that, it's hilarious. But at the same time, if like the New York Times had run that same poll, it probably would have been 70% saying in world hunger and they'd have cut it off at like eight or 9,000 total polled. And and anytime you look at like the demographic, the demographics of the polls that they do on those, like they really cherry pick their data for, for these polls. So which that's, you know, that's kind of the premise of my whole podcast is the fact check this podcast. Like anytime you get this stuff where they're talking about, Oh, well, 70% of people said this and like, okay, well, 70% of the people that you polled and the people that you polled are all a bunch of psychopaths. So what is like the, what is like the average middle American have to say about it? Which is what you saw in 2016 with the whole, Hillary was, depending on which poll you looked at, Hillary was winning like 80% of the vote. And then the election happened, which was an interesting thing about J.D. Vance, because Vance with the Hibbley elegy and looking at that, like, that's the part of the world that I'm from. Like, those, those are my people. And and seeing that, uh, seeing that movie and then reading the book, it's like, man, like, this is where I grew up. I, I get it. And also looking at like voting demographics and everything coming out of 2016. It's like, these are the people that don't get called when they do these polls. Like you don't, you never get a phone call. You're not calling people in West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky and rural Indiana for, for these polls. They're, they're calling big urban areas and, and that's where they're getting all their data. So obviously like, mainstream media has been skewing everything in a certain direction for decades like literally decades and and so then the average American who doesn't know that they just think okay well this is what everybody else thinks so maybe they're right and maybe I should align more with that stuff because that's what that's what the American people want so and and in the Typically, it ignores, you know, what would probably actually be the majority of people, um, and and then you get you get what we've gotten for the last twenty years. All this you know, progress for the sake of progress, but what has it accomplished? What has it earned us other than uh, a degenerate society and an economy that's completely crumbling?
1: This that's part of my skepticism, actually, with with this. Um this rising new right cabal um, because that's, that's eventually what it's becoming. It's just becoming an, an, an alternative cabal. But part of my skepticism with them is that they are for all of their critiques of modernism and their recognition of the nature of the system and everything, even that this is a problem within Yarvin at his heart, he's still a liberal and He's still, he, he wants non-liberal governance, but he wants a liberal culture and he wants the liberal aesthetic and you can't separate them from each other. So part of my concern, I guess, and again, this is, I I look at a lot of this as if I'm watching a a performance because that's what a lot of it is. And I know that I don't, I know that I don't control it. And you know, that what's going to happen is going to happen. So I don't, I don't lose sleep over it, but as I as I watch, I kind of you know, you, you read enough history and you realize that in every conflict between one side and the other over a, a long enough timeline, neither side wins, even when it looks like in the short term, like one side prevailed in the long run, you kind of wind up with a mix of the two sides. That's just kind of like everything like solves to the center and um, that center keeps moving because the the opposition sides get more and more you know extreme in, in in another direction and and you get this kind of reaction to the 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 reaction that just continues on ad infinitum and so like i don't i, I don't buy that there's going to be either the mass apocalypse where we're all subjugated by um Skynet on the one hand and I also don't buy on the other hand that we are going to have uh you know the revival of we're going to have the the new Caesar and uh, a full revival of traditional values and we're going to go back to the myth of the 1950s where you have the you know, where it's, it's, it's cool and fashionable to have barefoot pregnant mothers in the kitchen. And, you know, like I I don't, I don't buy that we're actually going to wind up in either one of those places because that's just not how history plays itself out. So what I could easily see is these, these guys very well-intentioned actually gaining power and then becoming a new regime that has a different aesthetic and, has different there's there'd be lots of things would be very good about it but then it would have there'd be lots of things would be very bad about it too because it would just the regime is greater than the people within it the regime is a is a is like a, a a hive mind that morphs itself around the power structures so simply creating um simply putting different people in different power structures isn't necessarily going to change the spirit of the regime this is this whole thing is what led me into getting into first Eastern mysticism and then Eastern Orthodox Christianity is starting to understand the way that um, that powers and principalities function and that it doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter what their ideas are. People don't have ideas. Ideas have people. So eventually the movement is going to be larger. Like I have no doubt that, especially as I see, like I read something like this, I have no doubt that this movement is going to continue gaining steam and that it's going to become a force. And That force is going to do a lot of good things. It's going to do a lot of things that I like and that I support and that I want it to do like Trump did. But at the same time, Trump like Trump did a lot of really, really good stuff that I'm eternally grateful that he did. And he also did a lot of really, really bad stuff that we're paying for and we're going to pay for for a really long time. Stuff that he was uniquely capable of doing that nobody else could have pulled off the way he did. And I love the man. I, I miss him so much. I miss his Twitter account. I miss his press conferences. I miss all of that. I'm just, I'm, I, I, I'm just clear eyed about how the actual impact that he had. And this has kind of been my, the transition I kind of have gone through the last couple of years, I guess, is, is becoming um, it's not jaded. It's just like, Things aren't going to be as bad as people think they are, and they're not going to be as good as people think they are either. They're just going to keep being. This is just how, this is just the story of history. There's all these conflicts, and it builds up to a crescendo, and then it just kind of peters out. And the, the world changes and progresses. And, you know, if you, if you would have painted a picture of our modern life to someone even 20 or 30 years ago, like what our modern life would look like, you could frame it in a way that people would be like, this is amazing. How can I fast forward? How can I get there now? Like the number of things that we get on demand, um, the, the different resources and technologies that are at our disposal, the ability to connect with like, sit here and have this conversation with someone just easily just stream it online and anybody can watch it. And a lot of this stuff, people would have killed for this. But then you could also paint a picture of our modern life right now that go back to 20 or 30 years ago and say, like here, do you want to live in this world? And they'd be like, that's literal hell. That's actual literal hell. I don't want to live in that world. You could do the same thing. If you went back 20 years ago and you, and you talked to people 20 years before that, you can do this same thing all throughout history. So things are getting better and better and better. And they're getting worse and worse and worse at the same time. And your experience of that depends on where you focus your energy and what you invest your time in. You can invest your time in the stuff that's getting better and better. or You can invest it in the stuff that's getting worse and worse. And, um, my goal now was to get myself into investing in the stuff that's better and better.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of worse and worse, uh, Don, Don, Don has finally <laughs> lost his battle with his internet tonight. Uh, he's, he was trying to get it situated and it, uh, looks like he is, he's not going to be able to get it to, uh, cooperate. I think he can hear us and see us. And he might've been even been able to, to speak, but he wasn't able to get his, uh, video to come through. So, so we will we'll try to revisit with Don at some point. But uh something that was something that was interesting that you had that you had mentioned was seeing uh like your appreciation for Trump. Like I always uh I always got accused of or just flat out called a MAGA Trump supporter. I'm like, man, I left the Republican Party. 20 years ago with no intent of going back and like Trump was not going to be the guy to, to drag me back into it. Like I understood the utility of the Trump moment and the humor of the Trump Twitter, like for everybody that took that seriously, you're doing Twitter wrong, <laughs> which I mean, you know, that's all of the left, but like um, that was a, an interesting thing about the Trump moment was to be able to see the utility of the things that he was doing and at the same time, see the things that he was doing wrong and be like, um, that's going to come back and bite us in the ass. That's not going to be good. That's, uh, just flat out like wrong. And, uh, either he has poor, uh, he chose poor surrounding advisors, or he just straight up made a bad decision, whatever it was like, to be able to look at the entire thing and, and to take the good and to uh, call out the bad. I think that was really important. And and the unfortunate thing about that whole Trump moment was that what she ended up with was like the the MAGA right only could see the good stuff. And then would explain all the bad stuff away as the left was fucking him. And then the, the left could only see the bad stuff. And anything that was even remotely potentially good in any way was either somehow Obama did it and Trump was just taking credit for it or it wasn't going to work out long-term. And I mean, to to some extent, even some of the things that he did well, uh, that would have seemed to be more appealing to the left, they've turned around and undone for no more reason than because Trump did it. Like that's, that's the, that's the insanity of the left that we've reached at, at this point is to, to take away good policy that actually promotes leftist agendas to, uh, for no more reason than because it was something that Trump did. Like I mean, we have reached peak political stupidity with that. But to look at the the dissident right, the new right as they're coming along and the idea that they're able to to also kind of identify things in the way that we were talking about and and really kind of maybe it uh maybe it maybe I'm a little too optimistic. I'm typically not at all optimistic with anything as far as politics go, but to read this and to look at that kind of stuff like it it does give me a a level of optimism that these are people who are approaching politics and and a world view in a very similar way to me who doesn't want anything to do with the system also looks at it and approaches it so like if those kind of people do get the momentum and they do start to actually have influence in in the gop like in the mainstream gop i again i i do have concern that 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 it becomes co-opted, it turns into like a uh, like a Tea Party thing. Like when the Tea Party came along, it was a good idea. Like my uh, my assessment of the Tea Party when it came along was like it's a really good idea. But most of the people who are uh, running for these positions and getting elected are dumb and don't understand actual politics. So like it's really cool they they get this you know groundswell of momentum because they're saying the right things. But they don't know how the system works to actually implement those things and make them work long term. So, like it was a, it was a cool moment, but I knew that that was going to fizzle out. And I have concern that it's going to be something similar with this. Like, um, but but then when you look at it, like you do have people like Yarvin who understand how the system works because, like you said, like at the end of the day, he still is a liberal. And and if liberals understand nothing else. They know how the system works, and so like, like, that's that's a little bit encouraging. Also, then you have you know people like Teal who have the money to back it. So it, there is some encouragement with that as well, as long as it can avoid becoming like how okay how will the like the distant right new right and the uh, like Desantis right jive because it feels like there could be a a degree of uh conflicting interest and butting of heads that as desantis gains popularity and and gains influence more of the gop are going to start to take that that approach and that strategy while at the same time you have the the distant right the new right that's also gaining influence and as you see with with vance and his primary victory and and some of the things that are going on with that, so so while they are both uh, they're both on the right, they're definitely very different pieces of the right. Um, uh, so how do those two things come together going forward? Like 2022 could be a, a cool groundswell of both sides having big wins, but uh, that's not going to be a long term thing like they're going to eventually come at odds with each other because they do have very different ideas
1: that's a that's a really really interestingly framed question that's i hadn't i hadn't quite thought of it that way but as you started asking it i started thinking about it and uh, the first things that occurred to me is is number one imagine if four years ago you would have told someone you would have described to someone the 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 jd vance peter Thiel political movement and the DeSantis political movement and you would have said hey pretty soon you made to choose between these two you'd be like hey that's a hell of a lot better than what i've got to choose from right now so so on one hand it's like that that would be that would be very nice to have those two as as options that are on the table that's clearly a a, a major improvement in a lot of ways at the same time they are still two liberal mo- two liberal options they're still fundamentally for as much as they especially DeSantis um He's, I, I, I don't, I don't buy that he's that, um, you know, so-called based and red pilled that he has, he's been fully, uh, uh, he's become fully aware of the fatal flaws of liberalism and is like looking at a post-liberal world. I don't, I don't, I don't buy that with him necessarily. Um, I'd be willing for someone to change my mind, but um, even with these, with these guys, like they are very clear-eyed about um, about the nature of the system, the corruption of the system. But I don't buy that they are explicitly anti-liberal, which is probably a good thing, because if they were, there's no way that they would ever be able to accomplish anything. And I think that we make a big mistake when we let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Like I said before, that good stuff's going to happen and bad stuff's going to happen. So preventing good stuff from happening because you're afraid of bad stuff happening is just an own goal. You don't you don't need to do that.
2: Oh my God. Am I understandable?
1: You are. I can hear you.
2: My God. (laughs) Same a cell phone.
1: That's fantastic. (laughs) um, But yeah. So like what I see is a, a, a Republican party that's forced to contend with these two factions is objectively in a whole bunch of different senses, a much better Republican party than one that doesn't. So, in that sense, like I think it's going to be a very good thing. I think that um, what I would prefer to see is I would prefer to see, uh, uh, DeSantis. I don't want DeSantis to run for president. I think that that would be a terrible decision. I want to see DeSantis stay in in tech, in, in in Florida.
2: Become <laughs> I want to a see stay in Texas too. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, right. I want to see I want to see a DeSantis become governor of Texas, and then I want to see a DeSantis become governor of Arizona and of Wyoming and of Montana if you're going to use the system use it this way get these types of people into positions of power at that level and then let someone like um like JD Vance run for president use like throw <laughs> sorry to JD Vance but throw him away on that let him run for president contend for the president just play spoiler at the presidential level And focus on getting people in positions of power at the at the state level and then even more at the local level and 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 really focus on on putting people like DeSantis in positions like DeSantis is in and allow them to we don't need to save the entire country. We need to save our regions. We need to save select regions and let them, uh, you know, let the rest of the country go to hell, you know, let people save their own parts of the country. They're all
0: Ivy League bantos, um, yeah. Carlos. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, they are, and it's—I don't—I don't necessarily hold that against them because it's like, uh, if if we're gonna get the the Caesar, and actually Carlos had asked about this later, I'll say something about that. If we're gonna get the Caesar, he's most likely going to be someone who's come through the the Ivy League system, or or at least has been um, gone to a prestigious university, and I don't think that's a bad thing because that means that he actually has a, a more intimate understanding of that culture. So if he's gone through that, he's got the intimate understanding of that culture and then he comes out of it and he is a Caesar, then that's great. Um, he'd asked earlier about, uh, about if Teal is the Caesar. No, I don't think Teal would be the Caesar. Uh, Cause Teal is not a, like if you've heard him speak in public, he's not a, an orator. He's not a, he's not someone who's going to rally the troops himself. Teal is the guy who will fund and, um, and support the Caesar. Um, I don't, I don't know yet who the Caesar is going to be necessarily. I don't think it's any of the people that we've talked about today. None of them fit that bill for me. Um, but, um, I also don't think that the Caesar is necessarily going to be, um, I would, I would 100% support and endorse the Caesar, but I, I also, I don't think that he's going to cure all. I don't think that he's going to usher in You know, the the new age of of peace, of of permanent peace and prosperity and, you know, uh, barefoot pregnant women in kitchens everywhere. I don't think that that's that. I don't think that's
2: coming. um, See, that's an important differentiation, right? Because I I see that a lot. Uh, Like, bro, we're going to have a big white knight on a big white horse and he's going to ride in. He's going to slay the demons. And that's just not going to happen. You know, there's a lot of good can happen. A lot of good probably will happen, but this, like, unless you're waiting on the second coming of Jesus, I mean, and then, you know, I'm not going to argue with you. You do what you do. But that said, if you're not waiting on that, then, like, the next person is not going to be the guy that does that. It's not going to happen. Right, right.
1: And and that, just because that is the case, just because the next guy is not, yeah, correct. Julius and Augustus were Ivy league of their day. Just because that is not going to be the case. That also doesn't mean, oh, well, all right. Well, that's, if he's not going to save the day, then, then, you know, forget it. I don't care about him. No, like he's going to come in and he's going to do good stuff. So support him when he's doing good stuff and try to lay the groundwork for him to do good stuff. It's like the Trump
0: moment that we talked about. Like it, it had its utility. You have to, you have to take advantage of and utilize the utility of it. You can't just write it off because it, wasn't all good like uh, if if you're expecting all good from any politician then you've already come in with completely wrong
1: expectations like you,
2: you to be disappointed
1: <laughs> yeah you're always going to be disappointed
2: right. and then that, like it. that's because you wouldn't
1: when, have a choice to not support the caesar if he was really the caesar yeah yeah that's that's fair too
2: <laughs> well uh, so you're sure you do right i mean there there's always a choice and nobody likes it but uh look you know people got crucified for not supporting, uh, various people throughout time, drawn and quartered. Like, I mean, for all of us that are getting canceled, there's always a choice. Uh, it just is a brutal one, you know, one way or the other, whoever's in power exercises that accordingly, however they see fit. And so look, there's going to be a reality that even if there is a Caesar that shows up tomorrow and, you know, I don't know, let's, let's say DeSantis throws on the crown and then we start riding, there's going to be a time of consolidation of power. It has to happen. And if I sit in the middle of my rural property and go, you know what? I'm raising chickens. Fuck you. During that entire time, there's nothing anybody can do about it. Right. It just won't be feasible. I'm not a big enough problem. I don't matter enough. I'm, you know, I'm, I don't have nuclear weapons, for example. No one cares that I'm sitting there raising chickens. Uh, And, the the reality of the powers that be right now is that they have enough power. They've consolidated long enough that like, Hey, that guy's alone raising chickens. We need to stop that shit is a totally viable thing they can do. Yeah.
0: And
1: that's so the, new guy, that, the new guy coming in is not going to care.
0: Right. And something that, um, so I'm kind of a student of Roman history. Uh, I've talked about it on previous shows of my own that like when I was in high school, having conversations with my dad, as I was looking at Roman history, I was like, um, we, we're Rome. Like we are in the last 75 to a hundred years of the Roman empire. Like we're, I'm, I'm probably going to witness the fall of Rome in my lifetime. And my dad would you know, tell me to not try to think, you know, not think about things in that, in quite that manner, because it can be a little, uh, I don't think we use the term black pilling at that time, but you know, that's more or less what it is. Um, but like, like with the with the idea of the Caesar, like there's a lot of bad shit that comes from that, especially especially on the uh, both the state and the federal political levels. Like that that results in a lot of upheaval. So like what Don's talking about, like once that stuff starts to happen, uh, when we've got our nice big garden and our goats and our chickens, um, we're able to kind of withdraw from that. Like at that point, it's. Uh, the influence that that upheaval has on you is more or less dependent on how much influence you allow it to have on you. And, uh, and, and focusing on your, your local, local politics and, and even more importantly, and even more importantly, your local community, like that's, that's of a, a much greater value than, than the Caesar to all of us who are involved in this conversation right now.
2: Yeah, no, hands down, you know, um, for those of you who live in cities, this is probably going to seem ridiculous and stupid, but uh, I am relatively new to my middle of nowhere living, uh, at least this particular round of it, and, you know, my my neighbor invited me over because it was his birthday, and I was like, hell yeah, let's go. Great guys, Uh, great family, um, you know, and... That very quickly evolved into, hey, I got this project going. Hey, I got that project going. You guys want to, you know, come on down. I'll buy some beer. We'll hang out. Uh, we'll, we'll do some work. And put that time in now because, uh, you know, if things go really sideways and haywire and all kinds of crazy, what you don't want to be doing is going, hey, a guy I don't know that lives uh, even a quarter mile away from me. Maybe now is not the best time to be making introductions, (laughs) you know. Uh, it would be way better to know those people and them to know other people, and you to like, you know, I know a guy who knows a guy gets you a really long way,
1: right? There's an interesting part here in this in the piece, so when it's in this section where it's talking about masters, and uh, let me see if I can find it here. He said, uh uh, Master Masters often says he's not as black-pilled and pessimistic as some in the new New Right spheres. He seems, unlike many new writers, to still earnestly believe in the power of electoral politics. But he does think that the culturally liberal and free market ideology that has guided America's politics in recent years is a hopeless dead end. Quote, a country is not just an economy, he told the dissident-right outlet IM-1776 recently. You also need a conception of yourself as a nation, as a people, and as a culture. And that's what America is increasingly lacking today. And that's what, like, I know a guy who knows a guy, that's a, that's a, that's a culture. Like when you, when you, when you know your neighbors, when you know people who you can get resources from, who you can give resources to, you can swap that stuff around. That's, that's what will make you healthy. That's what will make you, uh, that was what will enable you to, to survive upheavals, like the types of which we're talking about. And that's why our our friend Mark Claire is, is, has, uh, is taking his turn in the crosshairs right now. But this is like the same message. The one he's talking about is the same one that we've been talking about for a while, which is that spending your time on those types of endeavors, flying out to Reno, paying for people to fly out to Reno and do all that, that's not going to accomplish this. People say, oh, well, the networking, and we make friends, and it's a social club. But you're not there to make friends and have a social club. If you were, okay, cool. But you're doing a lot more than that. You're actually, you're you're forsaking the opportunity to do things like get yourself a ranch and some chickens and make a network of people who can support you through these types of things. So you're, you're, you're losing on the negative sense. And then you're also putting yourself into the ring as a political activist and injecting energy into the system that you supposedly want to take down. So you're sustaining the system with your energy. And even more than that, you're putting yourself on the radar as someone who is an avowed enemy of the regime. Fortunately for you, you're doing it at a really low level, where, by and large, they're most likely not going to care about you. But the principle remains that you're losing on three different fronts when you do that.
2: So, um, I guess this is a perfectly good time to interject that I generally dislike everything Yarvin has ever said. <laughs> <laughs> it's a premise. If you had to go with one, that would do it. Um, and. Part of a big part of that is the if you inject energy into the system, you're you're losing on that front. Uh, and so that is like superficially true if all you ever do is play in federal politics. Right. Um, but if what you do is you go down and you own your county and, you know, like you you get people in your county seats that are actually good people doing good things. And no, you don't have to agree with all of them on everything. And then what you do is you start going, well, uh, instead of whatever stupid garbage the county was doing two weeks ago, uh, what we're going to do is uh, work on small things, right? Like, uh, hey, the county will now have uh, every Christian holiday there will be – you know, uh, some sort of celebration It'll be down at the local park What are you doing? You're doing the same thing But on a way more macro scale Than just meeting your neighbors, right? So you can't play politics In the same sense that everybody wants to Right, like we're going to go crush the left But what you can do Is incentivize I mean, who doesn't like free food A day where the kids are all, you know Taking pictures with Santa, et cetera, et cetera? Every family in your county Or at least half will show up. And by the way, those are the half that you want to know, right? Those are the half that care about similar things to what you care about are interested in meeting people at these sorts of things. No, this doesn't mean just set up a fair, which is what every County in the country does right now. Like, Oh, there's a roller coaster. Nobody spends any time together at that sort of thing. Uh, You know, nobody meets people, any of that. Um, And no, by the way, if you live in Los Angeles County, this is probably not for you. Right. (laughs) But for everybody else, you know, if you're not living in a county with a major, major city in it, and your county, like my county has 20,000 people in it, right? Which is a ton of people to get together in one place. But if you got 500, right? There's a decent chance you could meet 100 people. And you would know, like, the, the face at least of at least 300 of those people by the time that you walked out, right? And maybe you don't know their names, maybe, but like, hey, I've seen you before. And that, by the way, is enough to not get shot in the face if things go really wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> and this is the sort of thing that when you you hand down the blanket, like, oh, but you're putting energy into the system. And, and I don't say that just as like, uh, you know, I'm taking this as, as uh, uh, in the worst possible light. I mean, I've made this pitch to people who have listened to Yarvin for years and they go like, well, yeah, man, but you're putting energy into the system. Like, it, not really. Right. Like I'm not going over there to ban leftism from the county. That may happen accidentally, but I'm going over there to build something positive. Right. And if you're, you know, if along the way you get, you you know, you elect the sheriff and the sheriff goes, well, I don't care how much the state says we're not enforcing criminal laws. We have our own D.A., by the way, you get him, too. And then you don't have Antifa running your streets because you have sheriffs that come out and say, Look, if you come down here and riot, we're just pulling out the SWAT team. All right. If you want to come down here and protest. No one cares. You do your thing. But if you riot, you burnt one building lights on fire. We're gunning you down in the streets. And guess what doesn't happen? And I know this personally because my sheriff did it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, don't have time for your shit. Nope. You want to walk down the street and protest and carry a sign? Good for you. Anything burns, we will put you down with whatever force necessary. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and guess what? It Nothing happened. And by the way, at the same time, and I was I was living in the city of Amarillo at the time, at the same time, there were hundreds of guys lining the street in full battle rattle. Uh, flak jacket, Kevlar, uh, you know, carrying M4s, uh, 20 mags apiece, going like, man, I hope Antifa shows up. <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: That's a good neighborhood
2: to be in. That's a city of 300,000 people. So, you know, these things are still out there. And whether or not any of us like it, politics is a good way to make it happen. You just can't. You can't go out there with the crusader mentality, right? You can't go out there and like, well, it's time to unsheath our swords and destroy the enemy. You have to build small things with it. And nobody wants to do that.
1: Yeah, I, I I entirely agree with everything you said there. I w- so when I say the um uh putting energy in this and in, injecting energy into the system, that doesn't that that wouldn't include to me all forms of of engaging in politics or even necessarily all forms of engaging in electoral politics. It's a matter of the the um the mode that you're in when you're doing it and the and the way that you're going about it and the types of rhetoric that you're using and uh, what your goals are, what your stated goals. are and your your actual goals it's like do the type of thing we can talk to you about it doesn't involve you don't need to go have big national conferences and you don't no. need to hold big rallies and you don't need to you don't need to organize across the nation and um and and have uh spokespeople who go on big platforms to declare your message you don't need any of that that's the stuff where you're playing that you're playing into the system that's the stuff where you are you're playing the game and you're just trying to play the game better than the actual professionals and you're so i'm gonna
0: i'm that. gonna ask a spicy question about that but first we've got a a special uh, cut in <laughs> <laughs> well uh, actually yes uh, carlos is carlos is my one sponsor with uh the uh, Paloma Verde CBD. Go, go check them out. I can't remember what my uh, what my discount is. I think the discount code is Facts. But we're going to let Carlos cut in because since he is going to be interviewing James Pogue, uh, Carlos is going to ask us for our questions that we would have for James so that he can uh, he can cover everything really well when he does this interview.
3: What's up, Vatos? How's it going? <laughs> What's up? What's up Don? Uh, I've never met you man, but uh I've heard uh good things about you man that you uh definitely throw some chingazos, you know? <laughs> That's the rumor. <laughs> <laughs> no man, uh yeah, no, thanks uh Justin for letting me in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know what guys, the 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 you know, I don't like I don't really read a lot of articles, but when 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 I do read one, what I really try to uh, embrace is the writer's struggle within it. You know, because Whatever they're writing, that's just the shit around them, you know. But, you know, you know they're struggling within it. So my thing is that I, when I was reading the whole article, it was almost like if I was watching, visually, a twelve-round fight between this guy, basically having the 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 pressures of maybe his family. You know, you could tell he's a lefty, and also like his uh, bosses, but also who's gonna say what? Who's gonna? So that was my main a uh, uh, vein of why i wa- i reached out to this guy you know i mean um i, I and researching the um, uh, and researching him I also like listened to I've never listened to choppot trap house but I guess like they put out a video about this article and I guess that's like the left uh side of uh whatever the fuck like the left kind of side yeah man i mean uh, I agree with whatever they said and then I guess the good old boys had their take on it and yeah I also agreed with some stuff that they said. And uh, I've also agreed with with a lot of things that you guys are saying. So like, um, you know, I take whatever I can get from wherever I can get it. But uh, I guess the question that the, the main question that I was gonna ask him, and maybe the question to you guys, is like, what did you guys think about the? the I, I know we say, oh, he did a good job because he didn't talk shit about our side, <laughs> but but like it, but it shouldn't be that. It's like you can almost see the the, the guy like 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 struggling and fighting to to write to. To, to almost come out to be fair. And isn't that what we always want, whether we're lighter or right or left? It's like you just want shit to be fair, whether it's to you, the way you put it, put it out or whatever. It's about just trying to be fair. But I don't know, man. I mean, I guess I could be wrong on, on that front. But that's kind of like the, my main questioning, Tim. I might not even ask him questions for the first 30 minutes about the article. I want to know about his struggle and and his upbringing on how, on how he came to this uh, article, you know?
2: So the the fairness question I think is a particularly good one right uh but if it was me and it isn't uh the way I would phrase that is like do you think you gave this this community this group what phrase it however you want um a fair shake right like or or something right along those lines um because the answer to that one way or the other will be very telling right um you know, because with that, you go back and you read the article and you go, so this this is literally what this guy thinks he saw all the time. Right. Um, You know, it's um, he thinks it's a great representation and that will color various statements in other ways. Right now, presumably, uh, you know, the answer to this from every journalist ever is going to be, of course, I did. It was totally unbiased. That's why I said he's always surrounded by incels because there were a bunch of dudes fapping under the table wishing that they had women or you know whatever right but <laughs> it, at the same time if there's like any equivocation there um, and, and I, I, everybody complains to me that I read too much into things but the, that equivocation that's where you're going to get yeah I think I gave him a fair shake well you know like uh, they, they are a bunch of weirder righties like yep so you didn't got it <laughs> right yeah, no,
3: I hear you. Yeah, it definitely sounds like he still had to throw some uh, red meat to the, uh, the Vanity Fair audience, right? So, so that's what that means to me. Like, 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 I'm not going to hold that against him. He had to throw a little something to the audience that he's playing to as he's educating them on these terms that they've never heard about, right? Uh, you know, so, so, you know, I, I can kind of see him doing that. I kind of took the ending, his last thing on the end, because today I heard uh, – the, the the reading of it on skeptical views or skeptical waves or something. Uh, you know, because I'm not a good reader, so I read it once, and I thought it was interesting, but I'm I'm a I'm a better listener. But the ending where he kind of said, uh, yeah, we were outside of the hotel. Uh, we all waved each other by. What did you think? And then they kind of said, everybody took off, and then we all went back to our battle stations. That, to me, kind of was saying, like, and, and that's what I kind of did this past weekend, and Matt was here and all that. It's like, once you party with people and drink with people and have a good time with people, we are just people. But of course, when you're not, then you got to go back to your battle stations and all that. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the battle stations and to kind of be lowered a little bit so we can communicate more. So like, I, I kind of went to that, the ending kind of like was the main thing. Like he kind of give, he kind of gave us a view of like himself being normal and then the ending going like, hey, but I'm still going to then go back to my throwing chingazos to the to, to you guys at the end. You know, kind of like that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you guys thought. I know you guys didn't read the whole Indian part of it or you didn't get uh, to. But.
0: I, um, but, So so speaking of that, like uh, like what I was going to say, my number one question for him would be um, because because obviously it wasn't just like hanging out for a night. Like this wasn't just a hour long sit down interview. Like he is, he is going places with these people and he's doing stuff with them and he's actually like spending legitimate amounts of time with these people. And, and regardless of what the group is, um, at least to some extent anyway, I think when you, when you actually spend extended periods of time with people, It really humanizes them and creates a interpersonal connection that some of my best friends are psychotic commies. And (laughs) I love them to death because we came up through high school and college together. And like I know that they would go to battle for me at the drop of a hat, even though they know I'm some sort of uh, nutjob pro-gun anarchist. And it's the same for them. Like you can't spend extended periods of time with people without creating some, some even, even minor extent of of a a connection. So, like my number one question for him would be: like having spent this time with these people and been around them, what has been your your lingering connection? Have you noticed anything that you you may think of or look at or or approach slightly differently just from? just from having been a part of that group for a while. Cause like, like I said, like it's, I think personally, it's hard to, to spend time with people being normal and not take something away.
1: I think this is part of the effect, like the, the dehumanizing effect that technology has had on us, not to go uh, full uncle Ted necessarily, or maybe I should, but, um, <laughs> But go full he, Uncle Ted. <laughs> always go full Uncle. Oh, I mean not always.
0: I, I, I <laughs> and he makes reference to that in the article too. Like he makes reference yeah. to how like our circles talk, you know, uh, refer to him as Uncle Ted. Like uh, that's so. Uh, I love that part too.
1: <laughs> the what what you've seen is that in the past, before uh, social media, specifically, if you were going to be connected to someone you like you couldn't be passively connected to someone who wasn't in your immediate vicinity. Like you couldn't, you couldn't just have this general awareness of other people around you, of what everyone else around you was doing. There was like the specific people, like someone who might show up in the newspaper or something, but you didn't have this awareness where you could just like go and just like scroll a feed and just see what dozens or hundreds or thousands of people are all thinking and saying and doing that you have no personal direct connection to or investment with. And So then when you had human interactions with people, it was real. It was very, very real. And what's interesting is, as like this guy points out here, as you're talking about, as all of us have experienced, when you are physically interacting with someone else, the odds that you're going to actually come to blows with them over some type of political topic are pretty slim, honestly. Like it happens, of course, but it's far less common than it is that you're going to come to blows with someone over the internet when you're discussing the same topic, M- generally speaking, when you're physically in the presence of someone, you know, them personally face to face, you're, you're exposed to their actual body. You don't have the same level of animosity or contempt for one another because you fundamentally recognize the humanity in each other. And because now the vast majority of our social lives are completely unnatural and bizarre then the way that we're connected through technology and that we're actually able to interface with other people, but not actually have like literally have skin in the game and, in connecting with them. It's distorted our ability to relate to other people. And it's distorted our ability to understand what a community is, how community works and how, what my role in a community is supposed to be. I don't think that this is necessarily a, like assuming that there's not going to be some kind of like coronal mass ejection that knocks out the grid and we go back to the stone age or something. But like, assuming that we just kind of continue with with life as usual i don't think this is going to be something that um persists forever i think that relative to the existence of the human species social media and this way of connecting to people through technology is is just hardly you couldn't even call it in its infancy it's just barely begun and so i think that over over a long enough time period we'll adapt to it we'll figure out new ways to make it work and our 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 psyches will, especially kids who are born into it, our psyches will eventually sort of adapt around it, but it's going to fundamentally change the human species forever. We're going to evolve around this new way of interacting with other people, and it's going to change us. And if it doesn't force us to destroy ourselves, then by necessity, it's going to change us in a way. It's going to, what's going to be retained are the good changes. The bad changes are going to eventually fall away unless the bad changes overwhelm the good ones and destroy us. I, I'm not going to bet on the end of the world because it'll only happen once. And when it does, I'm going to have bigger concerns. So, um, my, my expectation is that in the long run we'll adapt and we'll evolve around it and and we'll get better. But for the time being, this is a, this is, it's being born out in all of our social systems that human beings just don't know how to relate to each other anymore.
2: So, uh, a viewer of mine, quite a long time ago, said, "I think social media is going to devolve into balkanization in the end, um, and what that's going to turn into is people who uh, like there. There will not be more Facebooks or Twitters, uh, but there will be more Getters, more Truth Socials, more whatever, and there will be thousands of them." Because once people Get over the Probably first couple Years of like yeah man I'm just going to rage tweet at everybody um, it, it starts to become I really only want to talk to people Who I generally agree with Right like you don't you don't need to agree on Everything or even 50% of things But like it, There will be a a, a Pro abortion and a pro life Twitter Right <laughs> You know, and maybe that's the only thing that everybody agrees uh, there agrees on. But everybody there will agree on. Um, and it seems to have been a, a pretty good prediction, because one, that seems to be the way it's going. And two, these are the only ways that conversations on the Internet seem to function even barely. Right. Because. As soon as you get to a serious topic what everybody does with text is immediately read everything the opposition says in the worst way humanly possible <laughs> right so uh if if it's if it is abortion right like oh you're you're pro life you you think a one-celled organism is a is a human being like well and probably you know fertilized egg at least can we get that no okay Fine. Uh, And then, you know, equally, uh, you're pro-choice. And the problem with both of these is that, uh, you know, there's always somebody somewhere who said this, and then we map that onto everyone else with, you know, whatever similar opinion. So whereas there are a ton of people who are pro-choice who are like, yeah, abort that kid at 12 years old. uh, The vast majority of people who are pro-abortion don't believe that at all. Right. (laughs) Like, they probably never thought about it. They probably don't have a serious opinion. They're just like, yeah, well, I mean, it's not that bad. Is it like, uh, you know, you get pregnant and I don't know, it's a ectopic pregnancy. So you have an abortion. But that's what abortions are, right? And All of us who have done more than two minutes of reading are like, no, that is none of them. <laughs> like, that's a statistical zero. The fuck are you talking about? But yeah. Oh. You get to you get to pretend like everybody is the worst embodiment of whatever you're talking about, and then because of character limits and let's be honest, bad writing, somewhat tailored to character limits, you you get to you don't really ever have a conversation about basically anything. Um, you just get to spurge at each other, and that's even true on Facebook, which doesn't realistically have a character limit, right? But no one sits and types out a long dissertation. Even if you do, what's the first thing you get in reply? I ain't reading that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's yeah, the whole yeah. reason I started doing a show because I would I would look at fact checkers and stuff like that and read through it and then I would type out this big long thing explaining why everything that the fact checker said was wrong and mm-hmm. nobody would read it. But if I took 10 minutes to explain it in a video then everybody would watch it. It was like, well... Right. Nobody reads the same post,
3: right? (laughs) Yeah. And then doesn't that um, you know, you know, like when Matt uh had said in the show, and 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 I know he meant it with no disrespect about, yeah, if this if this guy's going to uh book an interview with me, yeah, somebody as small as me in, in audience reach or whatever, like very minimal, probably speaks more to that there was nobody that just asked him, Hey, can I interview you? You know, and but you guys know my style. My style is like I don't give a fuck. I'll talk to anybody. You know, so so you know you know so, you know that speaks. Maybe it's a it's a bad thing in our whether it's on both sides because both both uh, both of those shows right. I listen to the Good Old Boys and the Trapple House, and both of them kept on saying, "Well, I don't know this guy, but I think this. I don't know this guy, but I, okay, well I ain't gonna say that shit. I'm gonna go talk to him. You know, I was you know you you know I'm gonna say." i mean i right now i'm saying it like you know we're talk, but i'm gonna talk to them and, and find out what's up but like yeah man it's so uh, yes yes all you guys are yes it shouldn't be like that it should it's not welcome. be like it should not it, it, we should all just communicate more with the other side other, i know they suck but so what maybe they think we suck. you know it doesn't matter man like uh we're gonna live amongst each other, and i know we, we we can separate from each other but there's always gonna be lefty spirits right matt talking about the there's always gonna be lefty and righty spirits always intermingling amongst each other and whether depending on what the culture is or wherever you're at, you're always going to have this battle between the two and maybe it doesn't always have to be a battle. Maybe it's about like, Hey, give both sides a little drink and let's kind of, instead of battling, just kind of hang out a little bit and see, and and let's find the the humanity in both and all of us, because we all want good for our kids. We all want uh, to be able to have our kids have another generation that is better than ours. So we all kind of want fundamentally the, the 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 good things. And maybe that's what it speaks to in the article about how these guys on the right have tapped into that part. And Matt was speaking to, uh, to this too, that there's not really that message about, so, oh, some of us just want to grow up, ha- have a family, have some kids. Yeah, that isn't something that is very, that that is taught, not taught, but that isn't articulated on the left since they want you to go to the colleges and go to school and do all of this stuff. Okay, so we can just, uh, you know, uh, have a communication and say man you know what I don't want to go to college and all that stuff that's y'all shit but I want to do this like and there should be no beef about it right like we can all hang out and, and, and just uh, chill so you know that's kind of my style and uh, you know I you know, anyway
2: Carlos um, are you new to this by chance
3: say what are you new to this by chance when you say new what do you mean by new a uh, couple years no man i am i am a I'm a uh, I'm, uh, at first, I got into like the sovereign citizen uh, uh, part of it, and then I got into Ron Paul uh, in, o- in 07, and then, uh, and then I had a, a-, a home foreclosure like in uh, 07, 08, and then the Austrian economics uh, explained why I had a home foreclosure or why I uh, probably overbuilt, and then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then uh, my life was changed after that basically.
2: Uh, are, you, are you new to talking to the left? No, no, man.
3: Uh, I am a uh, – I, I like to say that I'm a Bill Maher, Ron Paul libertarian. I came uh, into politics from like Bill Maher, and I still watch Bill Maher because I feel he's in the same vein as this guy. So that's why maybe I, I – when you guys said like, oh, you guys never – you guys didn't even know about this article, I just needed to read a little bit to be like, oh, oh I know what this is about. This is a lefty that's going to be fair. Or try to be fair, yeah. well, you know, I
2: so i so guy. That's why I ask, because, look, uh, I am notoriously brutal to the left, and I, I really have no intention of changing my, my stance to them. But in reality, uh, there is about 10% of all people within margin of error, no matter how you sample it, uh, that are the people I'm talking about. And a lot of the problem that everybody's having right now is those people are in control. Those people are getting their way. Um, and so, like, if you, you know, I, I am pretty hard right about pretty much everything. Uh, but, you know, if my neighbor votes Democrat and generally is a decent person, then life's good. But I come from the shitholes of California where things like Antifa are not only common but celebrated. And so when that 10% gets a hold of power, the first thing they do is go, no, we can't hang out, right? You are anathema. You're a terrible person. And I've watched them break up families. Um, You know, like I I have a friend of mine. uh, We've been friends for 20-something years now. And not too long ago, him and his dad got in an argument over a tax rate. And his dad told him he was a Nazi and not to talk to him until he changed his mind. <laughs> and I went, look, man, I wish I could say I was surprised, but that's how that portion of society goes. They don't they're not interested in the talking to you part for everybody else. Right. Like, Look. I don't think the vast majority of the right would give a damn if the left was playing um, even vaguely fair. Right. But you, you go back to even David Horowitz talking about the 60s and he said, you know, it's there There was a there, like one of the first memes on the Internet was Godzilla versus Bambi. And if you go watch even, you know, 50, 60, 70 year old video of Democrats talking to Republicans, that's what it is. Right. The, the uh, probably the best case of this was John McCain uh, in 2008. And. Obama and Biden are out there talking about uh, how, you know, McCain is is this evil terror and he's he only wants to get elected so he can kill brown people. And and he wants to put black people back in chains. To be fair, that was a Mitt Romney thing from Biden. But, you know, there's all this kind of, you know, is slavery is good. And uh, according to McCain, blah, blah, blah. And what does McCain say when one of his audience members says Obama a Muslim? He says, no. Uh, Look, he's a good man. We just disagree. Right. And this has been kind of the problem is, you know, you only get to get to spit on my shoes so many times before I punch in the face. And so, look, dear everybody who is like, you know, not out there running, uh, I don't know, shout your abortion, not threatening to burn down, uh, you know, SCOTUS homes right now because a, a court decision came out they didn't like. Not uh, burning down Minneapolis because a criminal got killed. Uh, anybody who's not those people, yeah, we can probably get along just fine. Um, but it's sort of like no matter what the circumstance, if you stepped onto my property and started shooting at my house, I would shoot back at you. <laughs> right? And that, that's a lot of the problem is that they've been shooting a long time. And they're finally getting punched in the face, and they're really, really not happy about it.
0: Yeah, like, you may not see that with this guy's article, but with the left, by and large, especially over the last several years, um, I think there could be some concern, especially if this distant right starts to really kind of take hold and and move forward and gain traction. Uh, You know, the the most dangerous animal is one that's got its leg caught in a trap because it's going to thrash and flail and do everything it can to, to not die. And it kind of feels like that's where a lot of that incredibly woke, progressive, like uber leftist uh, faction is right now because as we talked about earlier in the show, like there is sort of a, a distant left uh, part that is – rejecting a lot of that as ridiculous. And then also you have the more uh, boomer con type of leftists who never were on board with that to begin with. But, but like Don was saying, like that 10% believes that idealistically and like to their very core, uh, they're also the loudest and the most insane. So, so it is kind of a, an interesting and not even... I don't want to say dangerous, but it could very well become a dangerous thing that we're we're kind of entering into here over the next two, three, six years.
1: It's interesting yeah. if you think about the different uh, demographics, I guess, that make up the so-called left. you have like the, the the boomer types that you were you were mentioning, which would really be like the you might call them like the regime neo-libs? They're the they're the really the heart and soul of the establishment and then you've got you've got the it would be like the the academics and the academics are split between um like kind of like like weenie weeny little uh soy boys who you know write articles they're like the, they're the stereotype uh the, like the stereotype of the cuck who lives in silicon valley or or, or san francisco or whatever and um, you know, he's likely got a, uh, a trust fund, and um, you know, has pays five thousand dollars a month in rent to so he can say that he lives in the Bay Area. And you know, but like, the guy's not gonna he he would he would step down from uh you know an angry woman. You know, he's not he's not gonna gonna do anything. <laughs> and then you have the the like the shock troops are generally not actually. How would I say this? They're not the smart ones. They're not the intellectuals or the academics. The shock troops are typically the ones who are actually running around, raging, burning down cities and, um, you know, committing crimes and stuff. They are, they're products of their age. They're, they're, these are like low IQ people who are, um, if they weren't running around burning down cities for, some political cause, they'd be running running around burning down cities for their own cause. They're 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 the types of um unhinged low IQ criminals that every society has that are just using the political thing as an outlet, and they're being specifically um mobilized and weaponized by the the brain trust above them.
0: They're the ones so, that if you ask them about the ideology behind what they believe and what these act these these principles are that are supposed to be so important to them societally. They have absolutely no fucking clue. They'll
1: like, just give you they, sound they, bites.
0: Yeah. They couldn't even tell you they they don't even have a personal uh, like a personal story for how they came to that. Like every one of us in you know on this chat right now, we all have something that brought us to this point. And there is a catalog of things that our our ideals and and our principles are built on. Those people don't have that. Like it is, it's a, it's an inch deep and a mile wide, and there's nothing there.
2: So do you guys know who Vladimir Jaffe is? No. Oh man, you should look up this guy's YouTube channel because it is every single video is an example of what Justin was just saying. Uh, he goes out to crazy wackadoodle leftist protests, and he's like, "So tell me about your ideology," and you're like. Well, I'm a communist, but I'm really more of a Maoist than like a traditional communist. Really? Uh what do you know about Mao and Maoism? I was like he was just better at communism. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, but uh but but we, we also can't ignore and this is not like uh my original shit. This is something like that uh Thad Russell has mentioned before and that's and that's actually how I got into the Thad Russell scene was that uh he said that like that uh those type of people were probably uh, you know, buzzed out. Feeling pretty good, and those were the ones that uh, Martin Luther King used as leverage to, uh, to, you know, the riots. You know, it was like, hey, you want to fuck with us, the 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 church people, or you want to, or you want to fuck with the ones that are on the streets uh, doing some shit. So yeah, yeah. sometimes uh, those people do create change. It's not right what they're doing. You know, if they funneled that energy more politically, they can do probably better changes for whatever they wanted for for their agenda. But you know, there is something behind burning some shit down and uh justin you talked about you know i I don't know the history behind it but i know there's some like whiskey rebellion shit i don't know the so these motherfuckers wanted whiskey and they were getting taxed and they were you know you know you know so whatever the you know sometimes you you need those people to to create change and i'm not defending them i'm just saying like we can't just say oh they're you know i'm just saying they exist and 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 yes there's people that can use them for their advantages or disadvantages but they exist so there it's a reality that we are uh, that we have to like uh you know contend with you know
1: what i was where i was going with it was that they are that these types of people are a threat entirely because of the people who stand behind them who are manipulating the system to ensure that they're not going to pay the consequences of 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 being violent so they oh, yeah. they they are they're like they're like cultural mercenaries almost where they're they they're they're a weapon waiting for somebody to wield them. Um, so if you if you want them, if you want to prevent them, I'm not I'm not actually driving toward a solution here. I'm trying to describe the problem that if, <laughs> if you want to prevent them from um, from being a threat to you, then you either have to put yourself somewhere where they're not going to be interested in attacking or you have to um, you have to disarm the person you treat them like a weapon. And you don't attack the weapon. You attack the person that is that is wielding the weapon.
2: Yeah. So this uh, this goes back to a couple things uh, that we've talked about already. One of them is the social media thing. Uh, Keyboard cowboys are a real thing. And the longer social media perpetuates, the worse they'll be. And. Where you see that become very obvious is when people suffer consequences for their actions of any variety ever, right? Uh, So if you, I don't know, if you go burn down buildings and you're not in a major lefty city, cops start showing up and throwing uh, handcuffs on people. And even if all they do is put 50% of you in the drunk tank for the night, that stuff stops happening quite as much. If you go to a guy's house, Uh, You know, you you go to a couple's house And you're rolling your riot Through their gated community And one of them walks out with an AR-15 And the other with a pistol Guess what stops? Right then and there That mob stops on a dime Hey, I don't want to get shot in the face There's a consequence here It's very obvious Uh, And maybe they'll go to jail later But nobody wants to be the first one To catch a bullet, right? And so The internet divorces you Very quickly from consequences, right? What do you... uh, You if you're on the left anyway. Right. If you post kill all white people on Twitter, nothing happens to you. It doesn't matter. Right. And that's the same thing going on in Seattle. Uh, If we riot, if we throw bricks through windows, no consequences. And we know it. Oh, and by the way, if anybody so much as gets arrested for this, we we march down to the police station. We tell the D.A. about how racist, sexist, bigoted, homophobic they are. And they, they let our boy out. And they do that because they, too, need to be immune from the consequences when the day comes. Right. And so you can't you can't ever let that go if you're trying to stay immune from consequences. The moment there is a consequence in in force that proves there's a consequence and all this falls apart. And while that doesn't sound like two things, it indeed is. Right. Um, and, And this is what stops the madness. And this is why we have police this is you know why there is someone who enforces general order uh and when that doesn't happen when you get to a small enough community where people are you know if you go to a town with 40 people in it you try to start a bar uh, bar fight 40 people are going to kick your ass that's what's going to happen right (laughs) because they don't want you there they don't want you causing problems and they know if they kick your ass the likelihood you come back is pretty much zero and so Problem solved. You have met your consequence. And the problem that we run into very seriously is that once you escalate to using real force, that consequence is going to involve real force. And it has to. It has to involve at least a guy with a billy club, at least a guy, uh, you know, who is going to taser you, pepper spray you. And let's be honest, if it's you against 50 people, it's probably going to involve somebody catching a bullet in the face if they're not willing to stop. And nobody wants to be that guy who even says that out loud, because as soon as, oh, really, you want to go you, you start the start army, you just beat the hell out of the leftist? No, I'm just telling you how it is. People respond to incentives. That's just life. And by the way, uh, getting hit in the face with five pounds of cherry wood is a pretty good incentive. <laughs>
1: Did you see the videos of uh, when Antifa was 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 tromping around through Yukaipa, California last year? And yeah. a whole gang of guys came out and just dragged him into the ditch and just beat the piss out of him.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> it was so extremely gratifying.
2: <laughs> it, exactly. Right. And like, finally, somebody in of all places, California. Right.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Of course. What? Yeah. It's funny, no, if you get the, out in that part of California, that's that's straight Trump country. That's basically where we moved from. And it I saw more Trump bumper stickers and Trump flags and stuff <laughs> there than I saw Biden or Bernie or Liz Warren or anything else. It was that's funny. It, it's crazy. That's and we're it's 70 miles from down from downtown LA, and it's one nonstop metro <clears> area all the way out to there.
3: Yeah, so yeah. Just, so so just to be uh like um you know, or, or you know, not, not clear, or just straight up is that it might come off like I'm defending the left, but remember, I live amongst the left, right? So I'm, <laughs> I, so I live amongst. So you know, like when um uh, the right always shows this map about oh look at the red everywhere, and then the little blue spots are the ones that like voted the most for everything, all that shit. Okay, well Dang. in my in my little blue spot, I'm just I'm just trying to neutralize as much as I can, man in and, and my own way and that's it and and that, so i'm just trying to lower the i'm just trying to lower the temperature in my little blue spot and that's okay so i want people in in, in my in, in my in in the you know in my reach just to be like oh you know what carlos he's a righty yeah he's am i gonna vote no 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 i'm not gonna like i want the lefties to be like nah i'm not gonna vote man they're, they're all right they're like carlos they're all right they're out there somewhere you know you know no pedo it's okay they're just chilling you know they don't want to be bothered OK, so that's all I'm trying to do. So I'm not trying to come off as like I'm defending, you know, like because um, Don, Don, you kind of asked me, like, how long have you been doing this as in as if as if uh, maybe like I haven't had a lot of interactions with the left enough to feel like uh, threatened enough is- to like I'm just saying, like, no, yeah, I live I amongst them. They're, they're, mean-
2: they're all my homies, you know, but like it's just the way it is, you know, I don't I don't mean to be like patronizing or anything, but like they're there are two different kinds of encounters with the left. Right. And and I lived amongst a lot of them for a long time. And and most of them are like hippie stoner. Like, why can't we all just get along kind of, well, douchebags. Um, And look, they're all right. As long as you're doing something that you both enjoy. Right. Like, I mean, I never ceased to play pool with them or, uh, you know, go bowling or whatever, like whatever it was we were doing, that was cool. Um, but there comes a point when dealing with the left, uh, if, if you talk even vaguely negative, of the, uh, negatively about them for a while, like they come for you and they come for you hard.
3: <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, I've been getting warned about, um, like, you know, so, you know, people have been telling me like, these people aren't your friends. Don't, you know, be careful and all that stuff. But I guess I'm at the point where like, um, I have my I have my network of people that matter to me the most so tight that I don't care what anybody says about me or yeah. says about whatever, like, you know, my shit's so tight that, you know, and, and, and when I'm talking about my network, my network is mostly lefties around me, you know, hey man, you work with what you got. But, 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 but you work with what you got. So like, you know, it's okay. So, uh, you know, but yeah, yeah, I, I hear you, man. Like no, I understand, trust me, I understand so what you're before, saying.
2: Before before I I forget, cause I'm gonna, uh, you in the past like couple minutes there were like, yeah, man, I just want him to get him out to get to be like, yeah, I, I don't want to vote. Whatever these guys are cool. That is the best use of the phrase complacency kills I have ever heard in my life. That is amazing. Make them complacent because complacency kills. I approve entirely. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, and I'm, and that's what I'm trying to do a little bit with like my football idea of, uh, I'm trying to unify the like. So I do want uh, uh, hooligans, but I just want them to be uh, for uh, a Texas World Cup victory, you know. So, uh, but uh, you know, that's that's another, that's on my podcast, and uh, I don't want to get on, you know, this is Justin stuff, man. But but you know what? Uh, uh, so uh, also for this guy, the, the the guy that I'm gonna interview. Uh, uh, One of the things, too, that I that that in in listening to you guys and and a question that came up that I thought was important was that a lot of these dissident lefts were kind of Bernie people, but a lot of us were Ron Paul people. So we kind of saw the system do us dirty earlier. So we're more mature in how the system is dirty politically against uh, uh, someone that we really believe in, that we think that could create a change. You know, like they did a Bernie dirty in, in, in 2012 in 2008 when he was running. Like uh, that was, uh, you know, Obama. You know, you can't, you know, everybody kind of had to be like, oh, the first black guy is gonna win. You know, you know, you just kind of almost kind of like, ah, oh, fuck. You know, you know, that, you know, you gotta kind of like lay your arms down. You know, it's it it is what it is. You know, but uh, in in twelve and sixteen, yeah, they did them dirty. You know, so like, um, they kind of then. So we're more mature in it. So one of the questions was gonna be like, um, uh, that I got from listening to you guys in the beginning was. You know, what uh the maturity that the that, that he's getting out of asking uh you know these 20-year-olds or these 30-year-olds or Curtis or his girlfriend and all, you know, uh we've been in the game a little bit longer and the so we're more mature, like that. So that was kind of the question is like, how much more mature are we, or are we just reacting to the system that was in front of us? Like, or is the left gonna just be like yeah, that's just the way it is, you know. Because uh, so, so I'm sorry, I'm already kind of like a, a little buzz, but I'm I'm rolling right now, man. Check it out. So uh, <laughs> uh, on on uh Curtis Yarvin one time uh on Thad when he interviewed him the second time, man, and, and I'll take this shit to heart, man, because I love this shit. He said, he said, oh yeah, of course uh uh, uh, uh Trump uh, lost the election uh they cheated him out, but you know what the Dem- the Democrats uh, cheated fair and square. And I'll never forget that, man, because I just thought, yes, that's exactly the game right there. Both sides cheat fair and square, and that's just the way it is. And as long as you're cheating fair and square, and, and even though how, how when I'm saying that it doesn't sound right, it doesn't compute, I could see Matt say, that fucking computes. Yeah, you can cheat fair and square, man, and, and that's okay. And ever since that, I thought, you know what, the game is different. The game is the game. Keep it at a distance. Make sure your game is tight, and then after that, you know it is what it is.
1: The way that I take that, the way that I take that they they treated fair and square is essentially, yeah. So they cheated. So
0: it, that's what was that's, it?
1: That's that's the nature of the system. And if you think that that's not, then you're not equipped to engage with it. If I was you think to-
0: yeah. I was talking to my morning show guys about something the other day and uh, I can't remember what the topic was, but anyway, when we brought it, when it got brought up, I was like, Oh, well I could do this and this. And like, I could game the system and just like screw every one of y'all and win. And they're like, of course you go to cheating. I was like, if you're not cheating, you're not competing. Right. Like if it's a competition, unless like, unless there's real consequences for cheating, you would be stupid not to. So if you aren't cheating, you're
1: playing. So, so obviously, that, that,
0: yeah, I'm gonna look for whatever yeah. opportunity I have to cheat. I mean, you can call it cheating. You it's only cheating because you didn't win.
2: But, so this is this is sort of like the stealing in California thing right now, right? Like, oh it's wrong. Uh, what what's the penalty? Nothing. Okay. Well, so why is it wrong again? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a it's if you if you have a problem with with the cheating, you don't understand that politics and war are on a continuum. And if you're in a war, you're fighting someone to the death. There's no such thing as cheating. It's who can kill the other guy faster, and with while well, sustaining the least amount of damage. Politics is the same spirit. We've put a whole bunch of layers in between to try to civilize it, but all we've done is just distort the game. And make people play it poorly it's still the exact same game it's still politics is still just war by another name and you have to approach it like that yeah this so is, like a- this is why I'm a really big fan of of uh our mutual friend so of our, our mutual friend here Andrew from uh, uh, popular Liberty with the the plan that he's that he's working on his anti-tax plan with the 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 GOP Mises caucus it's it, the, a lot of the stuff he's talked about publicly has, he hasn't even gotten into a lot of the meat of it. There's, there's, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. And this is the big part of it is that it's essentially cheating. It's he's, he's not playing the game fair. He's finding loopholes and he's finding ways that you can take advantage of the way the game is played ways that you can take advantage of the system specifically through lobbying. So and, and, and he's working at ways to subvert the system based on its own rules, which are premised on the people who win are the ones who subvert the system correctly.
3: Yeah, dude, Matt, Matt, dude. Um, uh, oh, hold on. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear yeah. you.
3: Okay, so check it out, Matt. Yeah, dude. So like every month I get my, uh, hey, you know, thank you for donating to the GOP Mises caucus, uh, caucus $25. But dude, I want, I want that. I want to I slowly, as I can, add a zero, Add a zero, add a zero, add a zero, but how am I gonna add those zeros? Well you know yeah, I don't know no, it out I can work in the private sector and try really fucking hard or I can go bid on government jobs like I do and then add zeros to that donation as I'm trying. So like the game is the game, man, you know what I mean? You gotta, yeah. you, know, yes. you know, so, so, so that, that is my thing is like, that's so what I'm trying to get people to be like. See, I used to think, so before I got into politics, we slowly as a, as a family started getting into like government bidding and government jobs. And then when I got into it and then I got political, I was like, there was something ugly about, I, I, I felt a little like uh, hypocritical, right? Like I was like, oh, I wanna minimize government but I'm trying to win these government jobs. Right. But over time, actually in the last probably COVID, you know, listening to like Buck, Matt, you know, a, a lot of these shows, I kind of, I'll kind of start thinking, well, fuck it. You know, they're trying to steal my money out of my pocket before I even got into the game. Well, now that I'm in it, I'm going to fucking get as much money as I can so I can like uh, change the game up in my own way. So that's it, man. So like, yeah, exactly, man. Yes. Yes. I, I, I am on that. that. That, to me, Matt, just so you know, is uh, king-pilled. It's just mm-hmm. fucking, like, doing whatever you gotta do to win.
2: So, See, just... That, that is the, uh, it's a war kind of mentality, right? Because, you know, look, if, uh, if I'm in a war, and, and whoever it is that's is shooting at me, right, and, like, one of them drops a gun, I'm not gonna be like, oh, that's their weapon, I won't pick it up to shoot the friends. <laughs> <laughs> and... That's just silliness. That's never going to happen. But it's how we try to play politics, right? It's how we try to, to play this game that is the political game. It's like, oh, man, you know, like, uh, I realize that, uh, you know, the opposition over there would stab me in the face in a heartbeat, but I'm so much better than No, you're not. Shut up. Stab in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever your objective is, you better work for it like that or just don't bother at all. Just go home because this game ain't for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don. Yeah, that's
3: it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, You know, uh, I remember the time before I thought that this was the game. Uh well, hold, hold on, let me let me phrase that. There was a time when I wasn't playing this game, and life was a lot easier, but it was fucking boring. Yeah, and you know what? Uh now it's a lot more fucking interesting, you know. And so uh in uh, I'm not saying like uh, interesting on a lot of fronts because also when you get in the political game you are bringing in your family too a little bit. You know, there's not a hundred, you know, you know, Matt, you might know this just, you know, if any of us are, or you know, Don, if you, if, you know, you're bringing in your families a little bit into this thing. It's not a, it's not clean cut where, oh, I'm just, you know, you know, so, so, so there is some of this stuff and my family knows what I'm into. The, the immediate family knows what I'm into and they're okay with it. They, I've got them to be like, uh, to the point where they're like, well, that's just Carlos, you know, that's just Carlos. Just the way it is, but they will defend me, just like uh, how Justin said about his communist amigos. You know, they'll defend me to the end, and that's really what who you want beside you, right? The people that defend you to the end.
1: This uh, this subject here, I I was just actually just looking at this tweet thread the other day. I was remembering it. There's this phrase, manipulating procedural outcomes, and Mm -hmm. this is a, a thread that was tweeted. This was back in 2018. This guy tweeted this thread. Uh, let me pull up this other thing. Okay, so he said the most underrated and underdiscussed phrase in Moldbug's corpus is "manipulating procedural outcomes." Moldbug spotted this phrase on a minor cathedral functionary's blog, and he links to it. and It's the blog for Timothy Burke. If anybody is aware of him, Timothy Burke is at BubbaProg on on Twitter. Um, and he write he wrote a blog post called "Competency as a Cultural Value." And it starts off with, earlier this week on NPR, I heard a man on the street segment. So that gives you an idea of who the guy is. He's a, he's a guy who listens to NPR seriously. And um, the, the part where he used the phrase manipulating procedural outcomes is, uh, let me find it here again real quick. So he says, so this is quoting from Timothy Burke, the, the, the minor procedural minor, minor cathedral functionary. He said, I am drawn to procedural liberalism because I live in worlds that are highly procedural And my skills and training are adapted to manipulating procedural outcomes. I think the trashing of the Department of Justice is bad for all Americans, but the fact is I also am aware that it's likely to be particularly bad for me and people like me. People with money, education, and a familiarity with the procedural world of law and government can navigate the legal system if need be, but only as long as it is a system where it's declared aspirations for fairness and political neutrality at least vaguely match its practices where the people who work the system have some kind of internalized commitment to those values. That gives you an idea of the context of the guy who's using manipulating procedural outcomes. He's explicitly saying that me and my cultural milieu have mastered the art of manipulating procedural outcomes. That's what we do for a living within the Department of Justice. So back to the thread from the guy talking about Yarvin. He said, Moldbug's comment on this gem, quoting from Moldbug, my entire post and maybe even my entire blog reduced to three words. If you want to know how you are governed, this is it. You are governed by manipulating procedural outcomes. It's perfect. It belongs on someone's tomb. Close quote. Back to the guy on the Twitter thread. Whenever you think of of procedural shenanigans today, whether it's a district court in bumfuck Hawaii blocking the president's immigration order or your college kangaroo court hanging innocent men out to dry over bogus sexual assault, assault, assault charges, this is what's happening. Conservatives in the United States can chiefly be identified by their faith in the sanctity of the procedure. They believe that if they follow the procedure, they can win. This is another angle into why conservatives are eternal losers. The modern regime rules by manipulating procedural outcomes. So you cannot actually count on the procedure. Proceduralist conservatives therefore have a view of, say, the media as having a certain duty. But that's the legitimacy the cathedral has conferred on it, and the conservatives believe it. Gamergate saw the the sausage made in real time, and it shocked many a naive center-left gamer. Here was procedural manipulation happening in the open. Op eds written, false news formulated, upon which further studies created by the academic complex all paint gamers as monsters. and then he goes on he says, how does it how does it actually work strap in so then he he explains how they establish the procedure, they get everybody playing by it, and then they begin creating exceptions to the procedure this is the this is the whole nature of the system in a nutshell, and to bring it back around to my tired old hobby horse, this is why trying to defeat the system by rallying your troops around some irrelevant third party is precisely this. This is precisely it. You're trying to play by the procedure against an enemy that lives by manipulating procedural outcomes.
3: That's awesome, man. That's awesome, dude. Check it out, dude. It's like, um, I interview. I interviewed, uh, Wilfred Riley. Uh, he's a dude that like, kind of like counter narratives, a bunch of stuff. And, uh, the one takeaway that I took in my life or the, the the one takeaway out of that whole conversation that i had with that i had with them about all kinds of how like uh racism isn't real maybe there's like a 1 or 2% uh better outcome if you're white but 1 or 2% ain't really God. shit you know all these narrative breakers when he was describing his uh his uh his uh, upbringing he kind of said that he went to uh, different types of uh educational schools and you know like ivy league not ivy league but just different schools but he said But what he did say was that when I went to lawyer school or uh, uh, law school, that's how I knew how the game was played. Right. Mm, So it was about going to. So that's what I took away. And I remember thinking, like, was I listening to you right now? Sounds to me like procedures. Remember, there's street procedures, and there's actually the procedure, the procedures of like law and shit like that, you know. Is that what you're talking about? Like, 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 or, 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 or what are you talking about? What kind of manipulation? Hey, Carlos,
0: I'm, Carlos, I'm going to cut you off and I'm going to drop you out. Cause I really need to wrap this up. Uh, we've gone quite a bit longer than what I was intending to tonight. Um, hopefully that gave you some good stuff to work with, to, to talk to the guy. Um, on, can I, uh, can I on give your... him
2: a super short answer to his question? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, the near perfect uh, definition of this in, in real practice is Bill Clinton saying it depends on the definition, uh, what the definition of is, is. Yep.
1: <laughs> it's it's all procedures. It's all procedures across all fronts. The entire system, the entire spirit of the system is not just law. This like The entire system is all bureaucracy. It's all corporate bureaucracy from the bottom to the top. And the whole thing is all just about manipulating the procedural outcomes, establishing the procedural outcomes, and then manipulating yeah. them for the 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 insiders manipulating them uh, and in favor of their own people against the outsiders
0: all right so we're going to close on something a little bit spicy i think we can cover it in the next 10-15 minutes um since looking at kind of the distant right and the way that it's explained in the article and everything they really do kind of align very closely with a lot of the things that like more libertarian type ideals and stuff like that, and a lot of the terminology that they use is stuff that we use in a lot of the circles that um, that we'll run in, and and things like that. And, and I know Don, you align yourself more like a true 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 right than probably me with my uh, removal from the system that I've gone through over the last twenty years or so. Um, and you know Matt's been in and out of the libertarian circles for for a while. So, but. With looking at that and thinking about somebody like uh, J.D. Vance and and uh, Matt's proposal from earlier that you no know, he'd be the kind of the sacrificial cow that goes to the uh, to the presidential uh, nomination would it be more beneficial to those who kind of align on on our end of the spectrum of things to have somebody like a J.D. Vance who is talking about the cathedral talking about the red pills and black pills and and using a lot of the Yarvin uh, talking points and stuff like that to expose people to this type of a thing, or would it be more beneficial to have somebody like a third party candidate or running on the libertarian party uh, ticket with the backing of the Mises caucus
1: between those two options? Like, it's not even a question to me. It's very clearly the former. Yeah. I don't, I, I, <laughs> I I wouldn't really um, honestly, I probably wouldn't see a lot of value in either one. Um, I don't think that I don't, I'd be willing to have my mind changed on this. If like, if Don, if you disagreed or someone else disagreed, I'd be, I'd be willing to have my mind changed on it, but I I don't think that the change is going to come because people's mind gets changed about um, like through the political system and people decide to go support this, this new option I think that the change is going to come when the people capable of creating the change are able to do so more or less by force, and everybody will naturally follow suit because it's the logical thing to do. It's very obvious. This is that the winds of the culture have changed. This is what's going to happen now. The person who takes who takes uh, who, uh, who who takes power essentially by force, which is a bad you know it's a bad word to say, but the person who does that the people who support them, like, are they supporting them because they believe in them or are they supporting them because they don't want to be crushed by them? It's like,
2: yeah, it's a utility question, not a belief question.
1: Right. And either way they're supported. So whether they're supported because people want to, or because people don't have another choice, I think is really just, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's splitting
2: hairs. So uh, the, the, the only benefits. Uh, That either one Could reasonably attain Is that the powers that be Need the tacit support of the people Right Um, And this does not mean what anybody wants it to mean Right This does not mean that like you, you know You need to I don't know jump for joy that Trump got elected You just need the tacit support of the people Because if the simple reality is The general populace is angry enough That um, you know, the FBI walks into town and uh, a semi runs the, the the government vehicle off the road into a lake, then you can't govern. Right. There, it, It's not possible. And so you lose power naturally and something else will show up and fill that void. And given the two options on the table, uh, look, I, I am relatively libertarian i just think the right is correct about everything uh and the left is wrong about everything uh, in and i'm sure the superlative is incorrect but uh as a premise that's generally how it goes um and so uh, look I, i'd be perfectly happy to live in a very libertarian society that had just had a general right leaning to it right uh on the other hand look dear libertarians everywhere um i i appreciate all of the autism you have ever done about how non-aggression is great and blah 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 uh on the other hand these are the people punching you in the face and until somebody gets up and goes you know uh, i'm getting tired of punching, the, getting punched in the face it, it, it's not gonna matter what you do i, I don't care if Uh, The libertarian candidate wins, becomes God Emperor, and then, uh, I I don't know, we all move into Ancapistan tomorrow. The very first thing that will happen is the cynic and probably leftist uh, powers that still exist or people who aim for power will start acquiring it. And we'll be right back where we are now in no time flat. Maybe not in your lifetime, and maybe that's all that really matters, but I have kids and I would like their lifetime to not be filled with this crap. And... In the world of J.D. Vance, the the primary benefit to him going out there and, and handing out, uh, you know, any terminology or the, the general premise that the system as it is sucks uh, is that culture is downstream from politics. Right. When when Trump gets up on stage, when he, even during the election, right, he gets up on stage and he goes, think news, corrupt media. Uh, look, it's a thing that everybody knows. That uh, somebody finally said out loud, and what does that do? That pushes that tacit support that the system has, right? So they they lose some. And will JD Vance push more of that direction? Yes. Will the Libertarian candidate probably not? So between the two, JD Vance wins, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, very clearly. There's a, It's actually a, a to to add one last thought. Actually, two last thoughts here. One is that um, if you if you study Gerard Renee Gerard his mimetic theory he talks about desire and the power of um shout out uh jason with two bit podcast he uh he talks about this all the time in our in the king pill discord the for people to 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 know what to desire it has to they they look to other people to find out what what do other people desire okay that's what i'm going to desire we mimic other people with our desires and uh so to have somebody who can really effectively model that desire for people on a large stage it it you move you can move just entire countries that way. that was part of what Trump did is he he conceptualized this uh the the enemy and then he created a vision for a way that we could combat that enemy, drain the swamp, and then make America great again. this is very just very simple but powerful psychologically, and that's what made it so transformative so um, so there's utility in having someone uh, out in the public sphere talking about these things and, and, uh, and, and doing that. And I'm, I'm split on whether it's more effective to have someone do it from a presidential stage or, or, or just have like a, you know, essentially like a Tucker Carlson kind of that is doing it or, or just to have a million Tucker Carlson's who are all, um, doing it at various different stages. So that's kind of where I left. I, I, I definitely of uh, between the two options you gave definitely the JD Vance over the, over the libertarian one. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is that, uh, the, the entire libertarian premise about the government is that the government is organized coercion that the government is organized um immoral unlawful aggression if that's the case then combating the government on its own terms to make a libertarian case here combating the government on its own terms is not initiating a nap aggression you 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 are a nap violation. You are responding to initiated aggression. You just need to zoom yourself out far enough to recognize the nature of the system and the nature of the aggressions that are being imposed upon you. And then acting within that system or within a parallel system or however you choose to act to combat that you are responding to already initiated aggression. So, so, This isn't a matter of, well, if you get involved in politics, then you're violating the NAP. You're getting involved in politics because this is the nature of the game that exists around us. It's not going anywhere. And if you're going to do that, do it in a smart way. Don't do it in a dumb way.
2: I I feel like this is the guy, you know, in uh, in the Coliseum, in the Gladiator Pit, and he's like, well, I won't swing the sword first. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah right okay so you'll get stabbed and you'll die and then everyone else will fight over fight over your corpse <laughs> Right. It's
0: like whenever whenever like the real hardcore libertarians take a position on like farmers taking money from uh farm subsidies or a businessman taking money from some government program it's like that's the game as it's laid out like if you're not playing the game by the like, I don't, I don't like rules. I don't like playing by rules. Um, if, like, we talked about cheating before. But and that's the game. And that's the way the game is laid out. And those are the rules. And you're actually playing by the rules. Like, what else are you supposed to do? Just say, I'm not going to play? Then you're a shitty business owner. Like, then you're a shitty business Then you're a shitty farmer. Like, you're, and, you're deliberately hurting yourself. Like, and, if the and game you're is there, hurting yourself, play the game. You're
1: hurting, you're hurting your children. You're hurting your future. You're hurting your community. You're hurting yeah. the people who depend upon you to act and play the game. If you Literally, just want to be an isolated schlub, then be my guest. But if you have any self-respect or you have anybody you care about who depends upon you, then you need to be successful and you need to be able to to thrive and succeed within the game for the sake of the people who depend upon you.
2: Hmm. So uh, to to sort of... Uh, Help, I guess, uh, with the the Carlson presidential point earlier, which is better? You know, a million Tucker Carlson's, one Tucker Carlson, or presidential candidate. Um, No matter how many Tucker Carlson's you have, his advocacy of basically anything is pretty small. Um, He does a lot of this is wrong and terrible, and we all know it. Um, And you should be upset about that but it doesn't drive anything and for anybody who had you know specifically in the year 2016 had uh disenchanted disenfranchised boomers that were related to you that suddenly showed up in your life and were like mega bro right that energy is useful right that dedication To something is useful Um, Even if You just want to be a cynical asshole About it and be like okay well What we need to do is direct them to something Not stupid Uh, You can't direct people who are Inert right They don't give a damn And so Mostly the people who pay attention to the Carlson's Of the world or any of us Are people who are already Mobile in some fashion Right the, you know, Carlson gets like 4 million views a night, 6 million, something like that. It make it 10 million, right? He's almost up to 1% of the country. How many people were listening to what Trump was saying? How many people were willing to take a step away from whatever they were doing yesterday because boisterous, uh, you know, the orange man was saying to do something? And that is a thing. That no matter what Carlson does, no matter, um, you know, what it is that he's working with, he's not going to be able to duplicate. And I know everybody's like, oh, John, you you and the, the people to do stuff. Well, people are resources, right? They have money, they have connections, they do stuff, right? And so those are the things that you build communities with. Those are the things that you... March down to your state capitol and go, hey, uh, how about if we, uh, I don't know, kick the FBI out of state, right? Because, by the way, would, is there anybody who would not feel at least a little bit better if your state was like FBI agents are not allowed to operate in this state? In fact, you're not even allowed to live in this state. Just get the fuck out. Right? <laughs> like, hard to wake you if there's no FBI. <laughs> and the capability to get something done in that fashion doesn't exist for the tucker carlsons and by that sheer limit alone the political angle is necessary
1: i i actually i don't disagree with you i have but i have lots of thoughts in return so we should turn this into a, a another conversation because i got to bounce here
2: we but should And I, I, do too. Think,
1: I think this this is this is the grounds for another two
2: hours <laughs> i think you are correct I forgot
0: I have, I forgot my dog was barking I've been talking this whole time uh, <laughs> yeah, this, this whole thing has definitely lent itself to it needs to be a a further conversation um, because the the article and everything that it kind of brought up has really spurred more that can be talked about with that especially with the political action side of stuff the the philosophy and approach to politics or culture or in a, the intertwining of the two like yeah there's there's a lot more that we could get into on this so we'll uh, the three of us will get together and and make a plan for for a follow up where we dig more into some of that stuff and and kind of hash this thing out a little further so
2: um Let's so do we're going to
0: call this uh yeah we're going to call this the new right with don and matt part 1 and we will <laughs> pick it up again sometime in a couple weeks hopefully and uh, and carry it out so, guys, thank you very much. This has been great. Give any plugs you got here real quick, and uh, and we'll wrap this up so everybody can can get
1: some sleep. Go for it, Don.
2: Well, my plugs are short. Hopefully in a couple of weeks, I will not be using a potato for internet in the interim. I have no schedule to produce anything. I apologize. Uh, you can basically no longer find me on YouTube, though. Uh, so, it is now down to rumble.com slash Media. Yes, I will get to Odyssey someday, but that day's not today, uh, and I have some Obscure problem streaming to them. Sorry. Then
1: uh, for me, uh, you can find me most most often right now, you can find me on Twitter at RealKingPilled. And uh, sooner or later, I'll be back streaming on YouTube. Hopefully it's going to be here very soon. Um, I know I keep saying that, but uh, but hopefully it actually is going to be here real soon. And uh, so you can find uh, the old episodes of, of King Pilled are, are on YouTube. Just search KingPilled, all one word. And yeah, that's it. Well, thank
0: you all very much. This has been a lot of fun and we will definitely be doing it again for everybody who's watching tonight. And those who are listening on Monday, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got something out of it and uh, tune in again on Wednesday when I'll be talking about, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. We'll see how that goes.
1: (laughs) Have a good one, everybody. Thanks buddy. Have a good one. Later.